0: Everybody, welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Happy Tuesday! Happy New DC Comic Book Day, I guess. Uh, November fifteenth, two thousand twenty-two. If you're in the U.S., Thanksgiving upcoming. No, nope, Rocky north of the border, they already has his, had his. But the yep. holiday season is is upon us, so just want to remind everybody, we'll be doing the Twelve Days of the Comic Source again. I'm gonna try to get like more interviews than I've ever had before, um, as many as I can. Kind of crammed into that uh, that two weeks before Christmas, so hopefully that uh, that will be a really good time. So uh, as far as this week of DC Comics, I thought it was a pretty solid week. Uh, nothing that was you know standout, jaw dropping. Oh my god, that's so good! I, I at this point, as I'm saying it, I don't even know what my book of the week is. Hopefully by the time we st- stop talking, <laughs> I'll know. But uh, yeah, what do you think, Rock?
1: I actually think this was, uh, uh, well, there's one I didn't read, and that's World's Finest, and I'm sure that's probably, I'll probably regret that, which is kind of odd. I, I just, of all the things that you would think I would have read first, I would probably would have read World's Finest first, but I actually thought it was a little bit of a downer week for me. I uh, There's a couple that I like, but overall, this was... Um, I got more criticisms than anything else, but uh, I, I did I did enjoy Star because I'm enjoying what Jeff Johns is building, and there's a couple other standouts. But for the most part, I thought it was a little bit sort of a mediocre week uh, compared to some uh, some other weeks. So, but we'll get into it.
0: Yeah, I I can't say that I disagree. Here, here's the thing: some of the books, like the potential, is so great. The execution, maybe not always on point. So, yeah. Uh, Well, let's kick it off with Black Adam number six. This is number six of 12 limited series. Uh, Obviously the Black Adam movie, man, I already people have already stopped talking about it. I feel like it sort of came and went. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you haven't listened to our review, Rocky and I both really loved it. Um, So go check that out. Uh, Did you ever get a chance to go see it again?
1: Uh, no, you know, I never did. No, I never did see Black oh. Adam again. But uh, I, I, I might if I find a spare moment in the week. I, I think it's the type of movie that I would enjoy seeing again. And, uh, uh but on, on a slightly different note, but also with related to Black is Black Panther. Uh, Wakanda Forever it was. I love that. I, I did a review. I've reviewed Wakanda Forever. I reviewed Black Adam, but. Both really good movies. Wakanda Forever, though, I thought was exceptionally good. I'm I'm on the side that loved the movie. I know it's a little bit of mixed reaction from fans, but I, I didn't, you know, I, the the way they handled T'Challa uh, and replacing his character, even though I'm not a big fan of replacing characters, and uh, generally speaking, I thought they did it exceptionally well. So,
0: I, I encourage yeah, I, people sure see to. It. I'm sure they would have preferred not to replace them.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
0: you know, it's such a tragedy and and what have you. I have not seen black Panther. I'm not ca- caught up. I mean, I go, it's funny. I go, went and saw black Adam. I haven't seen all the DC movies, but Mar- Marvel, I, I don't know. I feel like I haven't even seen like uh end or infinity war or anything. So I feel like I should, I need to get caught up before I go and see that. Yeah. Also, you know, I'm not a big, as far as the character black panther or whatever i could take him or, or leave him so um but let me ask you this did you like black panther better than black adam
1: uh, wakanda forever is a yeah. better movie than black adam yes i it's it just it's just it, it's it's almost an unfair comparison because it doesn't feel to me it's it's such an emotionally uh it, it's like I, I shed a tear at least three times in the movie. It's so impactful. It's it's a completely different movie. Black Adam is a popcorn adrenaline rush action action movie. Wakanda Forever is it's an emotional journey. It's a hero's journey. It's about tragedy and loss and redemption. It it, it is. Um, I mean, I I'm gonna. Some people might think I'm prone to exaggeration, but uh, and maybe I am, but it really had an impact on me. I, I really, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Now I have had, I recently did have a, you know, uh, some passing in my family, but it was an anniversary of my dad's death and my, my father-in-law died a couple of weeks ago. So I'm probably in a little bit of a down, down trodden <laughs> yeah. mood. So may, that may have contributed to it, you know? Uh, yeah. but, uh, I, I thought it really hit the notes for me. So I, I liked it.
0: All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, back to uh, the matter at hand, Black Adam, number six, six of 12. Uh, this is written by Christopher Priest. Eddie Barrows does the pencils, Eberfer on inks, Matt Herms on colors, Willie Schubert and Dave Sharp handle the letters. Um, let me just say that the art, first of all, is – it's absolutely fantastic. So good. I mean I love the uh, Eddie Barrows and Ferrera team. Usually they have um, – uh oh my God I'm drawing a blank, not Antonio. Is it Antonio Fabella? Uh, Eber uh, Ferreira? You no, uh, the, the the colorist they normally work with? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but I'll look it up here in a second. But anyway, um, the the color palette here is is fine. It, and Matt Herms does a does a good job. Um, so there's you know there's there's no letdown even though it's n- not the colorist they usually work with, but. What I'm really struck with uh, is the textures um, of the inks in the line work. I think it works really, really well. So I was blown away by that. And, you know, speaking of, you know, popcorn action or whatever, we have both talked about this not being the most new reader friendly title for people to jump on and wondering if that was the best choice by DC to have Christopher Priest who – you know, his stuff tends to be a little dense. So, you know, we've, we've speculated and wondered if it, he was the best choice to have on this book, because it, it can be sort of daunting for a new reader to, to jump on and, under, and understand. That being said, um, I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I don't have the most uh, extensive background with Black Panther. I, I, I haven't even read in many, many years, his uh, the 52 Weekly series. Yeah, you you meant Black Adam. You said Black Panther. Yeah, Black, <laughs> Black Adam. Sorry, I got Black Panther <laughs> on the brain now. Um, yeah, sorry about that. But that being said, I, everything you need is here. Christopher Priest is giving you everything that you need. But mm. I could see how some people who aren't familiar with his writing or familiar with reading comics could feel a little confused and sort of give up. Um, thinking that this is just too, too hard to understand. So again, I don't think it's, it's that it's a huge barrier of entry in terms of knowing Black Adam's history. It's just more, this is just the way Christopher Priest writes his stories now. Um, You know, he, he does his research. There's, there's Egyptian history and ancient history here and there's names of gods and some are made up and some aren't. And so, you know, yeah, you, you can feel a little lost at sea sometimes, but that being said, up to this point of the series, we've gotten a lot of setup. And now it feels like that's starting to pay off. Because basically this this particular issue is just one giant fight between Black Adam and Batman. And Batman's in the kind of the bat armor like he wore in uh, Superman versus Batman, speaking of movies. Um, but come to find out he's not really battling Black Adam. It's more of kind of this simulation and then – uh, when he finally sort of breaks out of the simulation, when Black Adam finally breaks out of the si- simulation, he calls Bruce Wayne and basically says, I'm, you know, I'm coming for you. And Br- Bruce Wayne's like, what, what are you talking about? Black Adam's like, you're, you're lecturing me on how I should behave and choices I should make, ruling my country, blah, blah. And Br- Bruce is like, what the hell are you talking about? So apparently there's somebody else pulling the strings and it very well may be that it's Martian Manhunter who is pulling the strings because we get a great final scene of Martian Manhunter there and he's you know he could have with his mental powers he could have been putting this um this vision this idea of Black Adam being trapped in a simulation he could have been putting that in Black Adam's brain all to sort of evaluate if Black Adam is really worthy of being a member of the Justice League you know, we've talked a lot about Black Adam being a straight up villain in the past and how DC likes to, if a character is even remotely popular as a villain, hey, let's make him an anti-hero on their journey to becoming an outright hero. When we saw Lex Luthor on member of the Justice League, Black Adam's been a member of the Justice League. Who's next? The Joker? I mean, it gets to be a little bit ridiculous because that's just not who Black Adam is. And as much as we enjoyed the movie, we did talk about that, um, in the review and how, Black Adam, he's just a different kind of person. I don't know that you call him a hero. I don't know that you call him a villain. He's just out to do what's best for his country. And he kind of puts that, his people first, you know, even at the expense of others. And so, you know, you can argue about the morality of that or the ethics of that, but it makes Black Adam an interesting character. And regardless of how sort of complicated this is, this is to read, that's coming across. And, uh, and yeah, I I think now that the, and i don't know for sure if we've seen the last of the the other um son or descendant or whoever he is of of black adam the white adam um the young doctor early 20s doctor his you know i talk about the story being confusing and it, he, like i like i just haven't that character hasn't resonated with me and it feels like it's confusing it doesn't make a lot of sense and it just feels sort of thrown in there Get him out of the way and just give me Batman versus Black Adam, and I'm happy. So uh this, as I said, has really been uh, been uh working for me. Uh And the colorist whose name I can remember is Adriana Lucas. That's the team I'm used to seeing. Um, and, uh, again, uh Adriana Lucas is a fantastic color artist, does a great job, especially with lightning and special effects, and usually the stuff kind of jumps off the page. But, again, Matt Herms does a great job here. But if you talk about Eddie Barrow's on pencils and Eberfer on inks, for me, Adriana Lucas is the colors that I want to see, but again, no, no disrespect to Herms. He does a, a great job too. Um, when there's a, there's a double page splash the title page that has um, Black Adam and Batman facing off each facing off against each other, fists at the ready, almost like it's a, a poster for a title fight. and uh, it just looks fantastic and that that you know symbol on on Black Adam's chest is like glowing. It looks, I mean, it's a two-dimensional image, and it looks like it's glowing. That's how good Matt Herms does on the colors. So, uh anyway, what would you think of this, Rock? Uh, This is my favorite issue so far, to be
1: honest. But, and, and frankly, it's because of its callback. This should have been the first issue, in my view. This should have been the opening issue. This would have pulled more readers in. Because this is an issue that, frankly, was uh, addressing an elephant in the room that, frankly, I don't know if... Well, well, Christopher Priest clearly had that in the intention because he wrote this issue. But one of the one of the I think many little controversies or or maybe it's a non-troversy, but was when in pages of Justice League, when Bendis, you know, coming out of future state, when Black Adam traveled from the future, when he when he transmuted himself back through time to try to save humanity in the present, in future state, he became a good guy. And he joined the Justice League. Well, in a lot of people's minds, and I think ours included, it was always an open question mark. Is it right to make Black Adam a hero? And we thought, well, they're making Black Adam a hero because Dwayne Johnson, right? is gonna, Black Adam's going to have a movie, so, so naturally they got to make him a little bit more heroic in the DC universe. I, what I like about this issue, borderline love, is that Christopher Priest is saying, hey, wait a minute, Black Adam... This guy's a leader of Kandak and he still is a dictator. This Black Adam in this world, in this comic book universe, he's not allowing Kandak to become a democracy right away. He's got a plan. He doesn't believe that Kandak is ready to become a democracy. So he's prepared to remain the dictator, and in his mind, he wants to create a transition. Now, maybe, let's face it, I mean, good intentions, you know what happens to good intentions and everything else. Maybe uh, Teth Adam is a benevolent dictator, but the reality is, that's what he wants to be, and... Batman, Batman. At, at the beginning of this series, Batman was pretty, uh, pretty upfront with him about saying, you know, I, I'm keeping an eye on you. Uh, and in fact, Bruce Wayne is even funding the freedom, uh, uh, the the rebels in Kandak. Bruce Wayne, apparent Wayne Foundation, is is actually funding them, and that's pissing off Black Adam and Teth and saying, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing this now. The revelation at the end here where it's revealed that this entire fight between Black Adam and, and Batman is completely contrived. It's within the mind. It's, it's, it's almost like a simulation, a mental simulation created by Martian Manhunter as a way to test Teth Adam to see if Teth Adam is really gonna, would Teth Adam go all the way to defeat Batman? Would Teth Adam, if called upon, kill Batman in this mental simulation. And Teth Adam would. He defeats Batman, or at least it looks like he kills Batman in this mental simulation. And so the way I interpreted this issue was that at the end, and and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, Chase, if you disagree with me, I interpreted this, that this was Martian Manhunter testing Black Adam and he failed. And he's now disqualified from membership into the Justice League because he's chosen the path that... Martian Manhunter has now concluded, which I'm sure he'll report to the rest of the Justice League, that Teth Adam can't be trusted. He will defend being a dictator of Kandak and not allow democracy in his own country. And he, if necessary, he would even kill one Batman. And and that's a no-no. And I like about that. I like that because, number one, we readers, we can side with, we can read this issue and legitimately side with Black Adam and say, Batman, mind your own business. Kandak is its own country. Uh, I love the dialogue here. I love the dispute and the argument between Black Adam and Batman. Black Adam is rightly telling Batman, hey, look, this is my country. I'm I'm, I'm the leader of a sovereign nation, whether you like it or not. You know, who are you to fund freedom fighters? You're going to come in here and try to dethrone me? I mean, get out of my country. You know, what are you doing? There's a legitimate argument. And we see this argument, by the way, played out in a different context in the Black Adam movie. So I... I kind of like there there is sort of a there is sort of a connection there in terms of the of that of those themes those international themes and sovereignty and what have you and that's what I really like about it and it's a nice distraction from the main from the main storyline that we've gotten in the first five issues dealing with these Egyptian gods that Black Adam is now uh, that are now coming to the forefront to try to gain control over black adam uh, that and, and, and sort of a retelling of his origin, wandering space for 5,000 years, and eventually the, the space dust gaining sentience of the Egyptian gods and all this other stuff. Um, that's a little bit out there, but this is more down-to-earth. The issue, the, the series should have started with this issue. I really like this issue, and I'm really curious to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you seem to... Yeah, you seem to be right. I mean, uh, Martian Manhunter clearly testing... Black Adam. What's interesting is the way Bendis played it off. And, you know, we don't know if it was Bendis. We don't know if it was editorial. We don't really know if it was. Well, we can speculate on why Black Adam became part of the Justice League. Maybe it was just, you know, let's up his profile before the movie or what have you. But I, I love the scene here where. You know, Batman basically says during during simulation, yeah, I never wanted you to be part of the Justice League. Yeah, <laughs> never thought you were worthy. You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah it's kind of what when we, we said the same thing. Like we they're making Black Adam part of the Justice League again. We understand, you know, meta why they do that because the movie's coming. But um, has certainly never had Batman really express any misgivings in the pages of of Justice League itself. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh. I agree with you. This should have been first. And it goes back to what I was saying about the the other storyline with his descendant and him being infected with this alien, ancient God, alien virus or whatever. Yeah. That first arc was just, I don't know. It felt convoluted and unnecessary. Yeah. Why not start with this? Uh, All right. Let's move on. Uh, Up next, we have Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League Batman, number one. Uh, There's a Zatanna backup. The Zatanna backups by uh, Megan Fitzmartin. Dan Juergens and Norm Ratman do the art. Frederico Blee on colors. Troy uh, Petrie on letters. And then, (coughs) excuse me, uh, the main story that focuses on Batman. uh, Let me get to the credits here. Written by Simon Spurrier. Art and colors by Ryan Sook. Letters by Troy Petrie. Um, I will say this doesn't look like traditional Ryan Sook art. I think Ryan is somebody whose art looks better when he – has somebody else inking him. Um, this art's okay, but it just doesn't look as clean or as polished as I'm used to, to see, seeing his art. So, uh, anyway, what'd you think of this issue, Rocky?
1: Well, I want to compliment Ryan Sook. Uh, I agree with you. You were a very astute observation. I am I'm always impressed when I can make the same observation as you, because you usually have a better eye on that than I do. Uh, but, I. I it's a little off. It's a different style for Ryan Stook slightly, but he, he nails the backgrounds here. There's this, the, the art's beautiful. The backgrounds are beautiful. This really is, this is, well, story-wise, I'm, I honestly, I'm, I'm not even really clear what happened here. This is a, apparently there's a, this is supposed to be a future with, this is the dream world of Batman, that this is his dream world flowing out of, related to Dark Crisis, and just like every other, every other world without a Justice League uh, connected issue, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, in apparently, in his dream world, there's two Bruce Waynes. Uh, this is a again the art's beautiful. It's got a lot of interesting backgrounds, but I, I, I straight up, I, I'm not, I don't like this story. I don't understand this story. I don't understand how any of this is related to Dark Crisis or the premise. Uh, It's the same criticism of all the other Dark Crisis tie ins. That just, this, I don't understand this world without a Justice League. I don't understand what is this Gotham? Why does it have two Bruce Wayne's? What's, I just, I, I don't understand it. And Alfred's back, and I straight up didn't understand this. I, uh, I just like right. I, I, I no, no, but I don't even know where, where how to begin to explain it, and I don't want to, you know. I, I feel like I, I feel, fear that I should just stop talking. It's it's beautifully drawn, but I I just I just don't understand. There was Sy Spirier, I don't know what he was trying to say. Why is there two Bruce Waynes? And what does this well, have to me, do with me, Dark let crisis? Let me, let me explain. Let me
0: explain what I, happened, and then maybe okay, it'll make more sense to you. Yeah, I, I don't get uh, it. Because, yeah, so this is a little bit convoluted, and you're right in saying that it does have – it suffers from the same problem that all the other worlds without a Justice League one-shots suffer from. In no way would this ever be Bruce Wayne's dream world, um, but that being said, the visual, uh, like I said, even though it's it doesn't – necessarily look as clean or as pretty, uh, as Ryan Suk's art normally does. There, there's a lot to Ryan Sook's art that has a little bit of, um, uh, of a, reminds me a little bit of, uh, doc Shainer in that it's really kind of clean, can be really clean and innocent and lighthearted and, you know, silver agey almost, um, here it's much darker cause this is a world, you know, where Batman is supposedly dead. And, uh, I, I imagine he's the one that got to design this version of Batman and it looks really really cool. Now this isn't necessarily the version of Batman. I I, I you know it's supposed to be that same version of Batman that almost clockwork looking version of Batman that we've seen uh show up in other uh, worlds without a Justice League one-shots. But the world itself looks a little bit different. Um this the, what shows up in the pages of this book it, it looks a lot a little a little more post-apocalyptic I guess you'd say. But there are some fantastic covers, including the one by Sook, where you see Bruce Wayne there and it looks like there there's two of them and it's all, almost looks like an engine a car engine between them, and they're screaming and you can see the you know version of this almost clockwork looking Batman and then there's another cover, probably my favorite one where it's almost like uh it's written in Latin, but it's a closer look of uh of that version of Batman, I, yeah, it just looks really, really cool. So we we know that Simon Spurrier tends to write things that are you know a little on the darker side, and so I can kind of see why he would he would choose to do this. And for me, what works most about this is again the potential. I, I mentioned that earlier: the potential of of what this world could be. Does it make sense that this would be Bruce Wayne's happy place? No. Does it make any sense that even Infected by the great darkness or with any sort of, uh, you know, influenced by Pariah that this would be the world that Bruce Wayne would dream up. No, it, like that, that it just doesn't make any logical sense in any way, shape or form. But what does make sense is is this world that's been created, right? So basically what had happened in this world is Bruce Wayne took himself – and he split his two parts in half, and that is fascinating, right? There, there's a part of him that is obsessed with the darkness, with being Batman, with you know, striking fear into the hearts of cowardly criminals, and and all that, right? And there's a scene in here with Alfred where he confronts that portion of Bruce Wayne, because again, Bruce Wayne is split into two two people, um, and he he's and he's like, this is not what I want. And he's like, deep down, Bruce. This is what actually you want. What does make you happy, and that's that's kind of fascinating. Is it dark? It's extremely dark. Is it accurate? Yeah, maybe so. Um, so basically, what you have, Bruce created this machine um, because uh, there was this virus that was uh, that was created by Jonathan Crane. Inadvertently, he came across this drifter who had a physiology that he thought he'd be able to test his um, fear toxins on and whatnot. Doing. Research for uh, medical purposes. Crane wasn't, you know, quite the bad guy he is in the regular DCU, but he, uh, in exposing this drifter, this nobody guy who turns out to be the Joker, um, he accidentally disintegrated the guy, and that basically released this hybrid version of fear gas or fear toxin and Joker toxin out into the world, and it kind of spread like this cloud. And the only place that's actually kind of a safe haven is Gotham City. And Gotham City, the reason it's sort of safe is because the altruistic half of Bruce Wayne, the part that got separated, the part that wants to make the world a better place by, um, t- through technology and light and goodness and, uh, you know, spending money, you know, kind of continuing the work of the Wayne family in Gotham. That's that part of it, right? So again, the two sides of, of Bruce Wayne. So he purposely split himself up because as he was going through trying to reverse the effects of, what crane accidentally did he found that one or the other side would always get in the way so he decided to split himself in half and have kind of the militaristic sort of more batman half go and and actually be boots on the ground and the other half the bruce wayne half to be uh to do the best he could with his mind and his technology building things to kind of make the world a better place and what ha- and. And they're all within Gotham City. Now, on the outskirts of Gotham City, where the mansion still exists, that's where Alfred lives, and where the equipment exists that uh, allowed Bruce Wayne to split himself into two. And what happens is because he's Bruce Wayne, and he always solves the mystery, one or the other, his uh, his good, if you will, ego, his Wayne ego is called. He calls himself Mister Wax. You know, Wayne as in wax and Wayne. You know, Wayne to diminish something wax to increase something. And he's trying to you know, increase the positivity and the, the good places to still live on earth. So that's why he calls himself Mr. Wax. Either Mr. Wax goes out and captures the Batman version and takes him out to the mansion, or it goes the other way. And Batman, for some reason, feels the need to go capture Mr. Wax and take him there. But either way, we were told it's happened like 50 something times by Alfred. And every time it does, Alfred has to kind of erase their memories and reset And send them back out. And the reason Alfred does this, you know, they as Alfred explains it, he's the one that's expositionally explaining what's happening to us. He says he does it out of love. This is actually what these two versions of Bruce Wayne want. They say they don't want this world, but in a way they kind of do, at least, you know, in the mind of, of Pariah. There is a part of Bruce that likes the darkness and the fact that there's crime and he gets to go out and fight it and feel useful. There's the other part of Bruce that Wants to be able to look at Gotham City and, and feel good that he's able to use his gifts to create a safe haven where people can come and live where they're not affected by the um, – I can't remember what it's called. The, the toxin or the gas that um, – let's see. It's called uh, – he says it when he confronts um, the penguin and the penguin starts to uh, to transform. um uh, the divergence. sneer touch, oh. sneer touch, is what it's called. He's, you've been oh. sneer touched, okay. uh, and that has to do with, you know, again, a combination of fear toxin and the Joker toxin. So you get that sneer, but it's not that full on rictic smile. Um, so anyway, that's basically what happens in the story. And so yeah, I'm left thinking, yeah, there's no version of Bruce Wayne that would ever want to split himself in half and uh, and have this this world exist where Joker toxin infects people in the world has torn itself down around its ears, except for Gotham city. I, I don't buy that, but there is potential here. There is potential to, you know, in a world where, um, where Bruce Wayne has to confront the idea that, yeah, there is a part of him that likes the fact that Gotham city is crime infested and he gets to go out and be Batman. Um, so that, I mean, there's, there's seeds here. I, I, I wish, that this world and this story had been told in a different context, as opposed to dark crisis where it could have been expanded on, upon more. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll go back and visit some of these worlds. But again, that, that whole idea of splitting himself in half, I just don't know that that works except for the fact that it does strip away Bruce Wayne completely. Um, and it's interesting because when the, the Bruce, the, the Batman version of Bruce Wayne, when kind of his Bruce Wayne side is stripped away, he he can't even articulate. He he's not even really that articulate. You know, he speaks in like broken sentences. Uh, he's, he's much more, I don't want to say animalistic, but, uh, he's a little rough around the edges. I'll put it that way. But the, the visuals are fantastic. And, and I'm intrigued by the potential of the story. The execution was, eh. yeah. And the fact that it, you know, like all the one shots, it doesn't fit in at all to the world, uh, the idea of, yeah, this is no world that Bruce would ever want at all. I, I, well,
1: why was he why every villain he confronts as as the batman side
0: he thinks killed his parents well because when he go when he goes back to the uh the mansion so all all the villains were actually captured and they were all being experimented on by uh by Jonathan Crane trying to f- mix whatever their powers and their DNA and their physiology with his fear toxin whatever experiments he was doing so they were, all, they were all captured there and they've apparently all been cloned and are basically on – they're on ice. So every time these two different versions of Bruce Wayne go back to the mansion and Alfred erases their memories and implants new memories and he says at one point uh, – he goes, okay, time to thaw out another nemesis and he takes the next one off the line, uh, whichever's next to be thawed out and sends them out into the wastelands. And uh, and then implants that memory into the Batman version of of Bruce Wayne to make him think, "Hey, I got to go find out the guy who killed my parents." So, okay. all
1: right. yeah, all right. I'm I'm not and, sure yeah, how that how how what does that why would Alfred do
0: that? How does that protect the world? How does that protect Gotham? I, well, he Alfred I, does that. Alfred's doing that because he loves both halves of Bruce Wayne and the half of Bruce Wayne that is Batman needs needs that he needs that mission he needs to go out and avenge his parents that's what makes him happy so that's why alfred is doing it it's all out of love again does this make sense no it doesn't make any sense and that's where it's kind of a failure uh it just doesn't work well it's not
1: it's it's a it's a it's another glorified elseworld story like it's it's really i guess it's not you know it's different the way you describe it it's not I, I, I still say it has, it just doesn't feel that it's appropriate for this Dark Crisis at all. I also have to say that Ryan Sook, I thought this was when looking at this Batman, the way he styled Batman's costume or outfit here, uh, it looks better when Ryan Sook draws it because it looks awful in Dark Crisis. Batman looks ridiculous throughout the Dark Crisis event because he looks like this. It it doesn't. It looks better when Ryan Sook draws the designs, but when any other artist who drew it, I I just I I don't like it. I think this is. um, uh, I'm sorry, but this is such a missed opportunity. Like this is really significantly dropping the ball. I mean, if ever you needed to have some kind of more of a connection to Dark Crisis, the heart and soul, you'd think that it would be Batman. Uh, But I just. You know, I I appreciate the explanation because I never, I just, boy, I was just, I'm on, I I was approaching this in a much more different way. I thought this would be much more significant, but instead this, this is yet another example of dark crisis. No one's talking about it. And then we read this, this is supposed to be connected to the event. This is, I mean, just straight up, this is false advertising as far as I'm concerned. But anyways, I, I,
0: yeah. Thank well, you for I that mean, explanation. They're, all, they're, all, they're, they're. I mean, if you think of it that way, they're all false advertising because yeah. they're all worlds that that they really wouldn't want to be a part of. They yeah. Just wouldn't. So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, all right. Anyway, the and the backup with Zatanna, it's a throwaway. Nothing happens. Nothing. <laughs> I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's all I'm gonna say about it. I don't. Yeah, well, the backups mind. by is by
1: Fitz, uh, Megan Fitzmartin. It, yeah. Nothing happens in it at all. Uh, I didn't even know. Honestly, I didn't even know Zatanna was killed. <laughs> to be honest with you, but I guess she was. <laughs> I mean, that's how much I don't care. I mean, I'm, I, I love Zatanna for her covers, and I love her in Justice League Dark. But like, so like literally nothing happens, and it ends with it ends with at the end of it where she meets up with the Justice League just as they're escaping into the pages of Dark Crisis. But wow, just what an astonishingly underwhelming series of, of tie-ins and just lack of any kind of connection or communication between Joshua Williamson and any, what a disappointment. There isn't even a through line between all the, like no common narrative. Uh, You would think that Pariah could at least show up in each of these stories to show that he's manipulating the, these, these, these alternate dream worlds in some way, but he only showed, showed up in a couple, not all, um, just 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 a such a significant miss. But you know, you know what, in, but in in fairness to size Sperier here, he did a good job of telling I guess he made it his own and he, he did tell an interesting interpretation of the psychological dichotomy and physical form between Bruce Wayne and Batman. And yeah, I just I just I looked at it and I just I I just couldn't I I'm I'm too much part of Dark Crisis I, I'm looking for some connections there and I unfortunately I I apparently I missed out on a on a story that was probably better than I gave it credit for.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, the story's interesting, but yeah, what does it have to do with Dark Crisis? Because it, it's not a world that Bruce would ever ever, in you know, it, it, it was all it would almost be you could say here let let's let's create a world that. Bruce would find torturous, you know, like no part of this world is something that he would want. So yeah, it doesn't make sense on, on that level at all. Um, And I, God, I I feel bad because I remember how excited you were at the beginning of Dark Crisis. Yeah. And I was (laughs) at that first issue, I just ranted and raved about how bad it was. And you were talking about, no, no, I was like, nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're like, no, no, just wait, just wait. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel... Like I said, I feel bad. Yeah. Wind's uh, been taken out of my sails, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Strange Visitor, Chapter 3. This is Batman, Superman, World's Finest, Number 9, written by Mark Waid. Dan Moore is the artist. Tamara Bonvillon on color. Steve Wan's on letters. Um, Yeah. Talk about nothing happening. (laughs) And we're not moving the story forward real fast here. Uh, We've still got Boy Thunder as Superman's sidekick. uh, David who basically is a refugee from another multiverse in the DC multiverse. And much like Superman himself, he's rocketed to earth this time through the multiverse rather than through space. And uh, his his reality, his uh, metropolis slash Gotham City uh, exploded and everybody died. And we know he's carrying around some survivor's guilt. And we learn in this issue that he's, he was kind of a prankster and a joker and he never took – uh, not the Joker, but just – he was just being a kid. He was just being a teenager, and he never took it seriously when his parents said that there was some multiversal crisis that was going to destroy their uh, their reality. And so he would go in and play pranks and whatever while his parents were trying to build the the escape ship that would allow them to leave the multiverse, the, their multiverse, and travel somewhere else. <laughs> and so when the time came – like so he actually inadvertently ruined the ship that they built. They built a ship that was big enough to hold both his parents and himself. And then he accidentally messed it up. So when the time came, it wasn't fixed and they only could send him. Um, and so that's why he feels guilty about the fact that he's the only one that survived. And, and because of that guilt, he seems to lash out at times. Um, and Superman pulls him aside. He is, along with the Titans, taking out some um, some pirates who have hijacked an oil tanker. And when one of them fires a gun at Aqualad in uh, Garth and grazes him with the bullet, he goes goes ballistic. And Superman's uh, words, he goes from, what does he say? Uh, You went from zero to 11 without a thought. You let your anger boil over and nearly killed a man. Uh, we're we're not judge and jury. You you can use force to save people. We can never ever be responsible for a single loss of life. So what's interesting is you know he's supposed to be Superman's sidekick and he does have a lot in common with Superman, but at the same time he has some stuff in common with Batman too. And he Superman does send him to spend time with Batman as well because obviously Batman has things to teach him. Um, and in terms of being able to, to like handle the anger and the trauma, maybe Batman's a little more suited to doing that than, uh, than Superman. So he does bounce back and forth between the two a little bit. Um, and then as kind of a, a subplot here, we've got uh, the key who's sort of a classic justice league villain who has a, a new look here uh, and the Joker and the Joker is, is subordinate to the key, which I find to be super interesting because it's been a long time since the Joker's even willing to team up with another villain on equal footing um, let alone be kind of subordinate and and, um, and taking orders from. So uh, this big crisis happens, or, or I shouldn't say crisis because it's DC. This big catastrophe happens <laughs> where Gotham City is, is flooded and Superman Batman, along with Boy Thunder, go over there to, to help out and solve the problem. And really it's all just a ruse to get the three of them there. And the Joker manages to kind of reach through this um, this doorway, this teleportation doorway and grabs boy thunder, uh, and brings him back to the, the hideout of himself and the key and says, our special guest has arrived. Now the real fun begins. And that's where the issue ends. So, yeah, basically we, we learn what is behind David's reasoning for feeling so guilty and for the fact that he's got this trauma that he hasn't dealt with. Why does he get so angry um, is it you know because of grief? You know, is it because of something else? What what's the secret he's holding? And you know, he again, he was just being a kid. It's not like he really meant to do it. It's not like he his powers. I, I was kind of thinking maybe his powers, when they first manifested, were the cause of his uh, part of the multiverse being destroyed. But no, his parents just weren't able to, to leave because of what he did, and he's blaming himself. So uh, there is some fun interchange between and interactions between the different Titans when they're taking out those um, those pirates on the, uh, the oil tanker. Um, so it's, it's a fun issue, but it didn't, I don't feel like it really moved the, the narrative forward. I mean, it's probably a necessary issue to get from point A to point B. Uh, I mean, we just barely found out the Joker was working with the key last issue. Um, so more context on David, um, what the Joker and the key want with him, I guess we'll find out. Uh, and then, yeah, just the rest of it is kind of window dressing, honestly, but the Danmore art and the colors are really fantastic. So, yeah, just a couple of things. I,
1: this is the one I didn't read, but I was, as you're explaining it and I'm reading it. Uh, I really like, I I really like how they portray David with getting, making a lot of mistakes. You know, me, screwing up with Batman, you know, Bat sort of, you know, Batman trying to explain to him, look, uh, I mean, don't freak out just because there's lots of guns in Gotham. You know, D- David does have a tendency to overreact uh, and even trying to protect Batman unnecessarily. Uh, like when Batman said to him, look, everybody has a gun in Gotham and I, my job is to scare people. They need to be afraid of me. So let me do, you know, uh, this is why I act silently. So don't make so much noise. <laughs> like, you know, he, David is David is is actually learning. He's getting thrown into this here. I'm actually kind of surprised that, I mean, he's working alongside the Teen Titans, Batman, Superman, and, you know, he's doing both here. So this is kind of like a trial by fire. So, and, and, and it's rather interesting that Superman and Batman and the Teen, and the Titans, they don't know his trauma. They don't know his background yet. They don't know all this. This is likely gonna, at some point, they're gonna discover this as it comes out. And you know that what a perfect, what a perfect villain like the Joker the joker has a nasty tendency of being able to figure out people's uh, past traumas and use it against them. So it's a really clever use of the joker. And, uh, you know, you mentioned how the joker comes across like sort of like the under, almost like the sidekick of the key here, but you know, the joker is always the one that at the end of the day is really calling the shots in some way. He's going to probably somehow turn the tide on the key. And of course with, with the sidekick David here, it's, um, this you know it looks like another another good issue and the, and the the, the as, as you said Dan more in the colors it, it it really pops off I I look forward to reading this in a more uh, in a slower more uh, uh, methodical way uh, later this week
0: yeah uh, it definitely has a, a classic feel Mark Wade's really good at that so uh, all right up next we have Catwoman number forty nine. Furious Hearts, part two of three. It's from writer Tinny Howard. Nico Leone is the artist. Veronica Gandini on colors. Lucas Gatoni on letters. Uh, there are some interesting covers, I'll say. Made one by Jeff and uh, uh, But then the one where she's licking her own ha- hand. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little Michelle Pfeiffer vibe, I, I guess, a little bit. I, I mean, I get it, right? She's a cat and they licked themselves. But I just thought it was weird. Um, anyway, what do you think of the issue? Uh, you know, I, I haven't.
1: I've been relatively in, enjoying Teeny like, Howard's Catwoman. It hasn't been bad. I've been, you know, I, I think a lot of people have been, I think, unreasonably harsh on on this on this series under Howard. I, I've actually been enjoying it, and I, I find that generally speaking, there's a there's a cohesion and a consistency to the narrative that is starting to shine through. In particular, her relationship uh, her her relationship with um, I'm just drawing a blank on the name um what's, what's? valmont Valmont's sorry thank you, and uh even her and then of course uh she's got a sort of like almost a quasi mobster sidekick, psychic uh, Darius uh, who is uh who we know has been kidnapped, and she rescues him at the at the beginning of this issue because uh, her and valmont were in're were in Europe uh exploring some other mob ties uh, connected to uh, what 's going on in Gotham with Eco, uh, who is Catwoman when Selina is away, and it all these moving parts. Teenie Howard does a good job of weaving them all together here. Now I'm not sure. You know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's Teenie Howard is weaving a, a fine needle here because everybody wants Selina to be a, to to get together with Batman, but of course it's how. They're not together. I mean, the, the wedding never happened. Uh, but you could tell Selena here loves Batman. But she's also having a... She's sleeping with Valmont. Valmont, you know, obviously has feelings for her. And... But, you know, Selena's not... You know, she's... Again, she's she's trying to play both sides of the fence here. And one at one point... Uh, Selena is thinking in this issue that she wants to have, she, she wants, she, she all but admits it she wants to have her cake and eat it too. And she feels like Batman is the person she's going to end up with. But Valmont and his ilk are the kind that she likes to have fun with. Uh, but her end game is always Batman. She sees herself ultimately being with Batman uh, one day. And I, I like the way that, that the way that Teeny Howard scripts, uh, Selena's thoughts is it's believable to me this is this is a very much a more uh quite a unsurprisingly promiscuous and, and sexual cat woman that, that much is clear and you know he's weaving he's uh teeny howard is weaving a tale here where you know she's there's a you know she she always seems to attract trouble selena you know whether it's uh, you know with Valmont or whether it's with Darius, whether it's with Black Mask, uh, and that and that's still you know you know that's still going on behind the scenes. And there is uh, surprisingly uh, you know there's a growing intimacy between her and Valmont here, which at some point, I mean, perhaps it's a, as a credit to the the art and the uh, the artist uh, uh, Leon does a really good job here. It's probably one of the most um, it seems really intimate. Uh, in fact, I was really impressed with the with the tattoos on Valmont. He's laying there. Selena is uh, very affectionately, intimately touching his face. There's some there's some really provocative scenes here, and they really work well. And uh, just just the the way the layout is and the dialogue. These two. This seems like a fairly serious budding relationship, and yet, and yet you know, Selena. I mean, we all know from, Selena is not the person you want to even remotely delude yourself into believing you have a relationship with. Valmont likes to tell himself that he's not falling for her, but he kind of is. And he's kind of giving that, giving off those vibes and hints. Uh, And that's interesting. And meanwhile, of course, we have Batman showing up. Batman choosing to completely trust Selena, you know, because... Uh, Batman wants to take down Punchline, but Punchline is moving in. Uh, we, we know from her first issue of her own series, Punchline is moving in on Iko's territory uh, and the Ikar Hase, Hasegawa fam, uh, mob family. And Catwoman wants to take Punchline down and Batman's in her way and she just asks. And Batman very has no problem stepping aside because he trusts Selina. I found it a little interesting that Teenie Howard portrays a Batman that is that completely trusting of Selena, that is willing to completely step aside and let her do what she wants to do, but perhaps believable given, given the role that Catwoman played in, in of war at the ending of that. And so there is a greater amount of trust, uh, Arguably between Batman and Catwoman uh, following the end of Joker War. So it, it, this possesses a, a good degree of verisimilitude. There's a nice little overlap at the end or an overview at the end which, which outlines all of, con- all of the connections that Catwoman has. And Batman even talks about them. And he, and he references them as a way to justify why he trusts her. He references Val, he, he talks about, you know, you have a lot of allies, Selena, a lot of friends, a lot of people who trust you, a lot of people who are willing to fight for your case. And he, and he shows, and he shows all of them. He shows the, he shows the stray cats. He shows Darius. He shows Valmont. He shows Eco. He shows, uh, he shows, um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the black woman there. Oh, I, f- I forget her name. She's, uh, ah she was even on the cover she, in any event uh, lots of uh, lots of friends lots of allies and i i like where this is headed because and i like the fact that maybe batman's stepping back to let selene Sel, you know selena handle things because ultimately it's that trust that will ultimately lead uh, one day of course inevitably somewhere in a in a future not necessarily a tom king future <laughs> uh well batman and selena will actually get together and maybe that wedding will take place in the uh, in my lifetime but we shall see
0: yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Tom King. You know, you you talk about, you know, a lot of people ship Catwoman and Batman. And I question that. Like I wonder, do, do they really though? You know, did did anybody before Tom came along really think they would get to the point where they'd actually be married? Like that's Tom's thing, right? And I I get it. Like he was the writer on Batman, and he can do whatever he wants. And, you know, I I am a Tom King fan, but I've never liked Catwoman and Batman together. Don't like the matchup. Don't like the pairing. <laughs> Never have. I, I find it to be tropey and you know, it's the forbidden fruit. And Do you Batman have a preference? Batman if if and, not, if
1: not, Selina, who would you pick? Jace, I'm curious.
0: Zatanna. We've, oh. had some lately, we've had some stories lately with Zatanna. Of they course, have history. You know, the Wayne family, uh, or at least Bruce's father, was friends with Zatara. So. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, I'd rather go. I'd rather sure. go that direction—that's more interesting to me than Catwoman. <laughs> it's just so, so, but whatever. I mean, th- this is this is the hand we're dealt, and so this is what we're dealing with. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> part of the reason I don't care for it, I guess, is the wild inconsistency. Just depending on who the writer is, because you're right. Th- this Bruce Wayne, this Batman, is like, like really, you love her so much that you're just gonna basically be subservient to her. Well, I guess because this is the Catwoman title, right? (laughs) If it's over the pages of Batman, Batman's going to be a little more dominant. So I don't know. It just – it didn't really have the – it didn't really come across as making a lot of sense to me. I could kind of see it, uh, but at the same time, you know, like what – is Batman just super moody? You catch him on the right day and he'll go along with what you want, and if not – I mean we've seen other people make arguments to Batman. Hey, this makes more sense. Let's do it this way. And we always know it's Batman's way or the highway. So to see him just give in to Selena so easily, just, I don't know for me, for me, it it lacked verisimilitude. So, um, but anyway, like I said, it's a, it's a minor nitpick. This is Catwoman's title. I get it. Uh, what I had a bigger issue with is the pacing. Once again, the pacing in the story is really choppy. Um, it does lead to a big chunk of story. Um, you know, I, I again I question the pacing in terms of Dario's kidnapped. Catwoman's in Europe. She has to jump through all these hoops with Valmont to even get back. She travels from where she is, like in the Alps or somewhere, to some villa in in Italy. Ma- manipulates that crime family there, and then flies back. And when she gets back, Dario's still in the trunk. I mean you would think like days have gone by how how much time did this poor guy spend in the trunk but yet there she is rescuing him so again it just it, it, it you got to kind of squint and just be willing to go along for the ride uh, but again then then it jumps from that to uh her in valmont like you meant, well actually it jumps to alley town where she runs into some strays and i don't know this stray that well i, I just took this delivery and i didn't know what the job was Dude, you're wearing an outfit that that has royal flush stuff on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get information on him from the uh, and Selena just buys it. And again, I'm like, that's not necessarily a Selena I know. She's she's been a loner. She's come up through a lot of crap, you know. Especially if you buy into the whole year one Frank Miller year one uh, origin of Batman, you know. And she, but she just believes this guy. So again, I, I'm just I'm questioning the, the logic of that. So we jump from that to Dario's at her apartment. Then she's talking to, um, to eco. Eco. And and then from there to, to Valmont. So, and from there to Batman. So again, because it jumps around so much, it allows Tinny to put all the places in uh, all the pieces in place to move this forward with her taking on punchline and Batman stepping back to allow Selena to do that and do it her way. Um, so, I mean, that's interesting. Punchline is, in my mind, a better villain, more on the level of a Catwoman as opposed to a Batman. I mean, I've talked a lot of times about if, if Batman were real and the Joker would re- were real, Batman would take the Joker out in like 30 seconds. And that would be the end of it forever because <laughs> Joker doesn't have any superpowers. Um, and Catwoman, in my mind, is less formidable than Batman. So... Matching her up against Punchline, I think, is better because, again, I think Batman defeats Punchline in like 20 seconds, even quicker than the Joker. So uh, that being said, I could really do with less Punchline in my life. She's, in my mind, a horrible villain. (laughs) tropey and derivative and just not in the least bit interesting. Um, The art is solid. Visual storytelling is great. Uh, I do wish that and again, I don't know if this is just the, the the narrative because it does try to cover so much and the transitions aren't great between scenes. And I don't know how you how you could do that better. It's just the nature of the script. So I'm not going to hold that against uh, Nico Leone. So yeah, I, I, I run a little hot and cold on this title. Some issues are better than others. It's just, I feel like Tinney Howard just hasn't found consistency on the title yet. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have Dark Crisis, Young Justice, number six. Um if you think that the worlds without a Justice League have no business tied into Dark Crisis, man, this really – we finally get a little bit of lip service into why this is tied into Dark Crisis when Mickey, Mixia's Pitalik, who's apparently Mixia's Pitalik's son, basically says, yeah, um Pariah was kind of messing around with – uh, the justice league. And so I thought it was, it was time for you young justice guys to have your own world. And so I stole a little bit of his power and I, I made this world for you. And I can't believe um, that you guys kind of rejected it. You know, I, I, I was, I was trying to help you out. I was giving you the the world that you deserved. Um, and I'm like, really, that's how this ties into dark crisis. Well, I, I guess at least we got lip service for it. Um, in terms of the story, I mean, it's it's a little generic. You know, Mick, Mickey gets defeated, as we all know he was going to, and he's defeated by these young Justice characters coming together and, you know, reminding themselves why they do what they do. Um, and in the end, it's called Youth Ends is this final issue. And it, it goes back to something that Rocky and I talked about that's sort of inherently challenging with these characters just at the time they came along during the 90s, you know, they were supposed to be the next generation of heroes, um, but we already kind of had the next generation, right? So you have Barry Allen, and he had already passed the baton to Wally West, and Wally West was the Flash. Well, now you need a younger version to kind of fill that gap that Kid Flash used to fill, so you come up with Impulse. But then Barry Allen comes back, and now it's like we have this other generation of heroes, but they sort of don't fit anywhere, right? We've sort of moved on from them. You had Tim Drake and then, or you had a uh, Dick, Dick Grayson and Jason Todd to some extent. Um, and then you, you had this Robin, Tim Drake, but then Damien came along. So now where Drake? It it's like the middle child syndrome, right? Um, and it's kind of tough because these guys were young justice, but they're not young anymore. They've been around for 30 years almost. So how do they still fit in? And, that that's a challenge and it's it's a little tough. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of history with Young Justice. I never yet read Young Justice back in the day. So I don't know. I can't really speak to how well this fits in that way. Um, but it is kind of interesting. And the art by Laura Braga is solid. Um, I do wonder why on the final page, this uh, splash page, it's supposed to be an iconic look at the members of Young Justice. Why does Connor have patches poorly sewn on to his knees. Um, but it's, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, every time I look at that image, I can't help but stare at those patches. But for the most part, the art's really great. Uh, and the colors are really bright. And I like the look of Mixi uh, or Mickey, Mixy's Pidolick, even if his reasoning wasn't, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but, you know, he's a fifth dim- dimensional imp. So logic kind of goes out the window. So I'm I'm curious of your thoughts though cuz you were uh you know you were a fan of Young Justice back in the day and I know you haven't necessarily been a fan of this series so far so what'd you think
1: Yeah I'm well I'm not a fan of this series this this series was completely unnecessary and I would prefer that you know uh, it started off it started off being entertaining you know and unfortunately the very things that I found entertaining in the first issue was just all misdirection because uh, Megan Fitzmartin very intentionally and deliberately, and speaking through the characters, makes it absolutely clear what she detests about the '90s and all the things that I like about it she hates, and she's and even ma- and she makes all these characters speak out against it, and and even in this what, issue, what are, what are those uh, I'll, things? I'll give you an example in this issue alone. Impulse apologizes for his behavior. Why are you apologizing for your past behavior when you were a child? Oh, Why not. are you apologizing for how you were when you were younger? You were, you were you were young. I mean, to make all these excuses that somehow this is a, this is a different time, suggesting that this is a different age a different time that which came in the past. We were so backwards back then, and it was just. I feel I feel personally like it, it was uh, just look i'm I'm a big boy, I get it. times have changed I, I I get it, but i didn't I didn't feel rather than just have fun with it and it more through parody poke fun at, fun at it. This was a statement that um you know quit bitching about the past, quit wanting the past to come back as opposed to just having some fun and give us you could have given us even an imaginary tale or a tale of young justice in the past
0: like we've been getting some in the world's guys- finest. Like these guys apologizing for like their misogynistic jokes and whatever that bugged you. Well,
1: uh, well, basically, when when they were younger, when they were youthful, yeah. I, I don't apologize for how I talk when I was in the in, in the 1980s. I, I was. A I get that. Of we're color. not talking about you though. We're talking no. about well,
0: these characters. You didn't well, like same that thing. These guys same
1: thing. Apologize. Well, same thing. I'm, it's the same thing. I'm, 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 what I'm saying is, and I'm, and again, it's it's. Uh, I just feel that this whole thing has been an apology. To fans that oh you love these characters well they're apologizing to you for being exactly who they were and who they were those people that those characters that entertained you for all those years they're apologizing for who they are and 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 implicit in that is you shouldn't like those characters like they were in the past because they're different now and they've moved on well I kind of already knew that so if I, I didn't like need the lecture. And that's kind of how it feels like to me. And this entire series, I just don't like. Now, one thing I do like, one thing I do like, and you alluded to it, is uh, is I like, she did actually tie it in. I like the fact that this Mickey Mixoplick actually did siphon off some energy from Pariah, got one up on him and, and tried to create this this universe for these heroes. Because guess what? Of, of all the tie-ins, The World Without a Justice League... I will admit that I can at least maybe justify it in a way that this actually this was more enjoyable reading these six issues as despite the issues I had with them than it was reading the World Without a Justice League stories. Because at least here there was at least the illusion of fun, even though it was all just a big dream, at least at least we had that. And the art was really good. I enjoyed the art and it was a nice callback. And I really did laugh openly out loud at the first issue but from there i just i just i don't um uh, i i think fitzmartin megan fitzmartin had the right intentions i just the execution for me just uh it just it just rubbed me the wrong way and it it didn't really work for me and uh, but mind you her robins not working for me either but um but we shall see and maybe you know, again, it's this is one of those issues that made this more of a negative week for me. Is that th- I'm so glad this series is over because if this is Young Justice, I-, I don't want a Young Justice anymore. I also I want to forget Young Justice at the end of this series. I don't want this to be a team. I don't want it because this isn't Young Justice. This isn't the one. This I want a brand new team of Young Justice. I want youth because this this is basically just Teen Titans with a different name.
0: Well, it goes back to what we we're saying about what's inherently challenging about these characters you know they're not young anymore so they're they're kind of stuck in this terrible this terrible spot and here's the thing like you know whether the series worked for you or not there's no doubt in my mind having spoken to megan fitzmartin how much she loves these characters um but and and, you know i'm not saying this was the greatest series ever I, i think ultimately it's a little bit forgettable um, you're obviously a young Justice fan. You didn't like it. I feel bad that that you didn't like it. I don't have that context, so I, I can only, you know, speak to it from you know what I've read in in this series, and it it was fine. I didn't necessarily mind it. Um, but again, it it's you know, youth ends being the title and the idea of these these guys growing up. But I mean, even the way they look, they still look like teenagers. So God, it just such a challenge. I feel bad um, for these characters, even though they don't really exist. It's tough, you know, and anybody that has to write them, um, a, a lot of times you hear comic writers say, God, Superman's the hardest one to write. He's so powerful. I don't know where to take him. Um, I would think these characters are even more challenging in a lot of ways because at least Superman's enduring, right? Like he doesn't necessarily evolve that much. And, and again, that's that's the challenge. How do you keep it interesting when he doesn't really change and he's always, uh, you know, the big blue Boy Scout um, but these characters, I like, I don't know what you do with them now. You know, they're older, but are they, and yeah, it's tough. Uh, yeah. All right, let's move on. Up next, we have Stargirl, The Lost Children, number one. This spins out of uh, Flashpoint Beyond and the, uh, the one shot that we had, what was it called? The Next Golden Age, uh, from Jeff Johns. So this is also written by Jeff Johns. Todd Knock is the artist. Matt Hermes does colors, Rob Lee on Letters. Uh, this is chapter one, lighting the fuse. What do you think? I well, I've been a, I've been a fan of this. This was um,
1: this was the first comic I read this week because I I'm, I'm really liking what Jeff Johns is doing with the new Golden Age and the Lost Children, the sort of the, the thirteen Lost Children. Uh, this builds on that. Basically, there's basically there's essentially thirteen red, uh, new sidekicks that we never heard of before that are sort of missing from the timeline and there's a mystery surrounding that and uh this is an issue that is very well crafted and uh, again full props to jeff johns the art by uh the art by todd knock oh, yeah. is is pretty is very good and matt herms as the colorist excellent we get we get a lot of information in this issue and it's done in a very i think it's a very it's well paced it's easy to read and at the same time in typical jeff johns fashion i think it's it's easy it's it's easy to follow i'll say let me rephrase that it's it can be challenging at parts but it all it it does flow if you take the time and read it there's a lot of information cramped back here we got in this issue alone we've got uh we've got all kinds of sidekicks that are mentioned. Uh, Dan the Dynamite, uh, John Henry Jr., Cherry Bomb, Jimmy Martin, who is TikTok, uh, Larry Jordan, <laughs> Airwave, Molly Pitcher, and Betsy Rose, Wing, uh, the Newsboy Legion, the Mysterious Eighth Soldier of Victory, Robot Man's Robot Dog, uh, Stripesy, uh, Father of Stargirl. And we have the, the the surrounding mystery. We got Stargirl. We have Courtney Whitmore, Stargirl. Uh, and Amiko, the Red Arrow, essentially trying to solve the mystery of what is happening with all these si- sidekicks. And in particular, there's this character, Dan, that there was this hero that we meet at the beginning of the issue called TNT. He had a sidekick called uh, Dan the Dynamite. And. Kid, in, Kid Dynamite, I think. What's that? I think his name was Kid Dynamite, wasn't it? Kid, uh, Kid Dynamite. Uh, I could stand to be corrected, yeah, my yeah, friend. His, yeah, his, I think his real name is Dan Dunbar. Yeah, it says Dyna. Uh, yes, uh, TNT and Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, they were last seen night uh, one we in the 1940s, and we six months ago were shown a scene where an older Dynamite in the present day is essentially he's he's. Uh, it looks like he's trying to put together a book and he's doing research on trying to locate and find all these sidekicks that he remembers, but the world has forgotten. And ultimately, it's uh, Red Arrow, uh, Amico, uh, get goes to Stargirl and says, Courtney, come on, let's go, let's go investigate this. And ultimately, they come across uh, uh, Dan's, Dan's, I guess, work study, uh, where he's got pictures of all these all these sidekicks and he's on a, there's a great page on, on the board. He's got all these pictures of all these sidekicks. And I I love how Jeff Johns does that. It's, It's almost become a trope with Jeff Johns. He's where he, bombards the reader with all these things on the page. And as opposed to having the dialogue tell you, he lets the pictures tell you with the writing and the newspaper clips and everything else. And it's a wonderful little puzzle that we, the reader, can put together as we gaze at the beautiful pages illustrated by Todd Nock. Very well done. And... And and the mystery builds. And the mystery builds. How is this all related? Why is this a big deal exactly? Uh, we don't really know. All we know is in his investigations, this, uh, older dynamite character is, uh, ends up, he ends up, uh, at the end of the issue, putting on a ring that TNT, his mentor gave to him back in the 40s, and it makes him young again, and he washes up on an island uh, where somebody tells him, you shouldn't have come here, Mr. Dunbar, and we don't know who is talking with him, although we can guess based on, based on previous, uh, based on other issues that it, it probably could very well be uh, per Degaton. Uh, who is per Degaton, or at least a younger per Degaton, does seem to be collecting or have something to do with all these lost children. So, I, I thought this was well done. It's been, if, it builds on the previous issues. If, um, I would, I would recommend, I think, uh, readers would get a lot more out of this if they read the previous issues, uh, cause there was the Star, Star Girl, I think it was the Star Girl summer special, or yeah. I think, and that 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 that's a one shot that people should definitely pick up also last week's as the new golden age pick that up as well those three i think just those three are basically all the information you need and of course if you really want to have fun by doomsday clock read doomsday clock again it's it's all coming together i love what jeff johns is doing here and flashpoint beyond also Thank you, Flashpoint Beyond. That's right. So, you know, this is a, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like we we started this uh, this podcast uh, where we talked about, you know, I, I'm a little down on DC this week. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that there's lots of DC publishes a lot of comic books in a month, and you can literally just have a lot of fun. The fun, the place I'm having the most fun with is the one corner of the DC universe that has Star Girl, the Flashpoint Beyond, the Doomsday Clock, the Jeff Johns side of the DC universe. I'm really enjoying and also the Mark Wade side. I'm enjoying World's Finest. I'm I'm looking forward to Lazarus Planet, believe it or not. I know some people are down on that, but I'm, you know, it's clear there's some there's some uh, it's clear the the talent at DC, uh, albeit the more experienced talent is rising to the top and that's what I like to see because I think DC is due for some really good stories and it's really nice to see the formations of it uh, with uh, Stargirl, the lost children
0: yeah, so we're talking about an island that Dan Dunbar washes up on and, yeah, somehow becomes young again. Um, <laughs> and you just got done talking about looking forward to Lazarus Island. Could oh, it be my. that the voice is uh, Mother Soul? Uh, could I don't be. Know. Uh, you know, could be per Degaton. I don't know how, how much this is going to tie in. I know that Jeff Johns and Joshua Williamson obviously know each other. Are they going to tie in together? I, I have no idea. I'm enjoying this as well. I, I find the whole idea of 13 Golden Age characters that have been erased from Golden Age history to be really interesting. I did read the Who's Who entries last week after we finished recording, and there wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, it's interesting that some of them have been referenced and have showed have actually showed up in Golden Age comics in the past. Most of them have not, but yet they have um, they have first appearances listed – But if you were to go and buy those issues and look at at them, the the characters wouldn't be there. Now, those issues are oftentimes extremely expensive, so you're probably not just going out on a whim and saying, I'm going to go buy this Golden Age issue because so-and-so's first appearance is in there. Well, Aquaman's first appearance is in there also, and so it's going to cost you an arm and a leg anyway. So you're probably not going out buying it on the chance you're going to spec on some character that Jeff Johns is retroactively putting back into the Golden Age. Um, So anyway – I'm enjoying this as well. Uh, Todd Knox, an artist whose work I always enjoy. He was the artist on the original Young Justice, and I would argue that this probably has more of a feel. Again, I haven't read it, so I'm speculating here, but that this has more of a feel of that sort of classic, timeless Young Justice series back in the day than the Young Justice series that we just got. But uh, again, I'm speculating on that. Um, As far as the the art goes, man, when – When Dynamite and TNT put their rings together and Dynamite is like on fire, it almost looks like a golden age version of the the Human Torch, Human Torch TNT hybrid. It looks really cool. So great to see Todd knock on a back on a monthly book instead of just doing covers. Uh, All right. Up next we have Titans United blood pact. Number three. This is written from uh, by Cabin Scott art from Lucas Meyer, Tony Avina on colors, Carlos and Mangua on letters. The art on this is so fantastic. Um, Lucas Meyer must be having a heck of a, a fun time designing these um, different versions uh, of, of the Teen Titan characters. If you haven't been reading Blood Pact, basically um, Brother Blood somehow has changed reality and Tim Drake is in the new reality. He's the only one that realizes that things have changed. Um, the Church of... Um, Brother Blood of, the, of Brother Blood, the Church of the Blood has is now called the Church of uh, Raven, and Raven has been right. captured, um, and we know that she, in some way, is um, is being coerced into using her powers to help out the Church, and she's kind of worshipped, uh, and I think the general public in this reality don't realize that she's she's she, she's doing it against her will, um, but. Over the last couple of issues, or I guess last issue, because the first issue was set up and the last issue was Tim Drake and that reality, Tim's been going around and running into other members of the Titans and trying to bring them out of it because they're so immersed in that reality. They don't realize that this is not how reality is really supposed to be. So apparently in this reality, Bruce Wayne is dead and Dick Grayson has become Batman. And when he, uh, when Tim Drake confronts Dick, they fight as, you know, classic comic book trope, but he is able to remind Dick Grayson that, Hey, this is not how reality is really supposed to be. And, uh, in, and toward the end of the issue, Starfire shows up and we find out she's like the main enforcer. Um, they're called confessors in this world. They're kind of like militia, if you will, The, the, the militant side of the church that basically rule everything, um, religious policemen. And, uh, Again, she just – Lucas Meyer does a great job of illustrating her, making her look cool, making her look sexy, but making her look sort of evil. She's got this belt buckle that's a skull with these fangs and um, it's pretty interesting in this issue the way that that Dick Grayson wakes her up is to kiss her like he did when they first met and they share that link and language and whatever. (laughs) And Dick's like, now do you remember and she smacks him. She slaps him. She says, ah, I'll take that as a yes. So it's again. There's a little bit of humor. Uh, I think Cabin Scott is a is a great writer, and this has uh, good pacing. It's actually very quickly paced. Um, and there's a little, little character moments like that. And it's just an interesting story. And to go back to talking about what we said about um, Titans United the first go round is how continuity light it is. How you don't need to be reading anything else in the DC universe to pick this up and read it and enjoy it. So that's probably the reason that they always have on the front cover, uh, a little logo for the Titans TV show. Like if you're enjoying the Titans TV show, you know, you should definitely be able to pick this up and, uh, and enjoy it. So, um, there's also a really cool Derek Chu, uh, Nightwing cover if you're so inclined, but, uh, what'd you think of this one, Rocky? I love the art. Lucas Meyer does a really good job
1: uh and kevin scott i've you know it's funny this continuity is it's not it's not perfectly you know synchronized to the mainstream dc universe and i don't care he he, it's it it takes all the best qualities of the it takes all the character qualities of the characters that we know from the mainstream dc universe and it, it and it's consistently written by Kevin Scott. So it's clear, it's very obvious that Kevin Scott knows these characters, but he's having fun putting them in his own world. And, but he's bestowing them with the personalities that we're familiar with. And that's what I love about this. So if you're going to do an out of content, I mean, it's almost like this, this is a, while this is an out of continuity tale, it's, it doesn't feel like an out of character continuity tale. It's an out of, you know, it's it's a different world, but these characters are the same and they feel the same. They feel familiar enough that, that that's what makes this story work so well. Uh I particularly love, I mean I mean, those of us who are fans of Dick and Barbara Gordon, uh, we know that they're headed likely for a wedding in issue night one hundred of Nightwing. Here we get some Starfire and Dick Grace in love here, even if it is just a snap uh Starfire out of her um out of her sort of I guess control of the control or the black uh, brother buds control it's nice to see uh, Dick Grayson you know slip in a kiss there and it's it it, it was very well done I love I love the characterization of Jinx I I love how she's the the tension between Jinx and Starfire because Jinx you know Starfire did kill other members of the fearsome five who ironically enough are kind of on the good guys here but some of them have been killed because uh, by Starfire when she was under the control of Red Raven I guess and just, it's just really well done. There's, there's high stakes. There's tension here. I actually care about what's happening. I look forward to the next issue. It's just, just really well done. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know if you noticed this on the one page. It looks like a word below, word balloon has been blacked out. Did you notice that on, uh, yeah, I and did. And I'm I not sure. Know. Is that, is that going to be, I wonder if it's going to be blacked out on the actual comic
0: book. It, yeah, or was it? Is it just a spoiler? Is it a printing error? Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's I interesting.
1: But uh, in any event, no, I like I said, it's hard to criticize this issue. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was. It's one of those things where this is just a plain f- fun. It's adrenaline rush. It's 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 action packed. Gorgeous art. You know, I, I got to tell you that this is one of those ones where, you know, it's going to be make for a fantastic trade and. Yeah, this is this is one of my one of the better ones this
0: week, I think. I, I quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, let me ask you this. Do you prefer Dick Grayson with Barbara Gordon or you do you prefer uh, Dick Grayson with Corey? <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I, I was a
1: Starfire fan because it was impossible not to be because I was such a huge Marv Wolfman because I was writing that you know, I started collecting in the in the you know, late mid to late 70s and so i was all over the new teen titans marv wolfman george perez and so i was uh i was starfire and decoration uh but i have to admit that over the last probably the last five years i've i've I'm become a fan especially under tom taylor i really like barbara gordon and dick Grayson. and i think it's re- really worked and uh I, I credit gail simone to get planting that seed in my head as well during her birds of prey run They're, They always will there won't they between uh babs and dick Grayson? so i would have to go on the side of B- barbara gordon you know
0: i love starfire but that time has passed what about you i yeah it's like asking me to you know choose between a favorite child i I, I I like both. I can't really. Uh, yeah. They're so, they're so different. Barbara and, and Corey are so different. And I like who Dick is with, with each of them. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yeah. It, it's like, I feel the same way over on the Marvel side of things. Like, well, do I like Jean Grey with Logan or do I like Jean Grey with Cyclops? Like they, it both, it works both ways, right? Like, yeah, I can't really pick. Maybe they have to do what, what they did, you know, at the beginning of the, x-men run uh hickman x-men run (laughs) where it was kind of a the the map i don't know if people knew that but the map of the living quarters for the x-men uh scott and logan and gene's rooms were like um gene's room was in the middle and scott was on one side and logan was on the other and they were all connected (laughs) yeah they were you know so anyway uh Let's move on. Up next, we have Gotham City Police Department, The Blue Wall, number two. This is written by John Ridley, drawn by Stefano Raphael, colors by Brad Anderson, letters by Ariana Mayer. Uh Very very topical, very meta, as, we, uh, as we've as we said about uh, previous issues. And the, the variant is a, a take on the Joker fish, which has never looked more horrifying uh, by Sebastian Fulmara. But anyway, what would you think of this one? Uh, you know what? I, I really enjoyed this. I, I got to say that
1: w- one of the things that I, I know that there's, there's a, uh, uh, you know, everyone, everyone has their different points of view and, uh, uh, when it comes to reviewing uh, John Ridley's uh, comic books, because he, he does tend to get, he, he clearly, he likes to get political. That's part of what his writing is. He does it in I Am Batman and he's it do, doing it here. And he delves into those issues. And so there's a certain amount you know, if you're if you're not into that, you, you don't then, then this comic book's not for you. Because but I gotta tell you that I think this I really enjoy this. This is this is Gotham City. This is Gotham City Central, but, and, and it does delve into some real life issues, some hardcore issues. And we have, uh, this issue. We, we deal with three major, uh, stories here, and they all essentially, most of them wrap up. We have Officer Samantha Park, who's investigated in a civilian shooting. She, she, uh, she fails to shoot a bank robber, uh, during a, a robbery, and the, ro- the robber gets away because she freezes. She, she acts somewhat cowardly, but, uh, as Renee Montoya does, who what she, this Samantha Park is internally reviewed by the Gotham City Police Department. And they they know that, you know, they know that she basically froze. Uh, and the media is, you know, she's taken a shit-kicking in the media for, for her actions. But she's human and she made a mistake. She froze. She was a, essentially a rookie cop. And Renee Montoya knows that. We also have a parole officer, uh, Eric Wells, who is struggling with his... Uh, uh, or part of me, uh, officer. Yes, Eric Wells feels guilty because one of the people uh, parolees that he's helping with uh, is is uh, struggling with trying to stay on the straight and narrow. And we also have another uh, detective, Devont Charles. He's a part of me. This uh, another uh, a Puerto Rican officer by the name of. Uh, Danny he he tries to ignore the racism in the department that is levied against him by his fellow officers uh, talking about systemic racism and and just the attitude of his fellow cops so uh and, and then we have tragedy in this as well because we have uh uh somebody who's a parolee this devant charles character who is who ends up He's got a pregnant wife and he ends up, he can't escape crime. He can't escape his life. The parole officer won't listen to him. uh, And he ends up essentially taking out a life insurance policy on himself, reports a robbery that he's to the police that he otherwise would have been involved in. And he ends up, you know, being killed because he betrayed the the gang. And, but his wife, his pregnant wife, uh, Krista ends up with the insurance money. And all of these the, you know, these three to four weaving tales are all entwined in this one issue. Very impressive. This is something where I started to read this and I have to admit, when I first started reading it, I got page and a half in and I thought, oh, it's going to be just, you know, it feels like like a bad version of, uh, you know, some, some law and order show. But And then I realized, no, this is actually really good. And to be quite blunt, now that I think about it, I actually... I, I think I've watched every episode of Law and Order. I actually like that show. So why wouldn't I like a comic that that reminds me of it? Um, which which is leads to my next comment that if you like Law and Order, you'll really like the you'll like reading this. If you like Law and Order procedurals, that you'll really like this. This is less about the law and more about the, the struggles of the police officers, the parole officers. Uh, in this case, uh, officer. Uh, in this case, Commissioner Montoya, uh, Officer uh, uh, Parks. There's Officer Eric Wells. Um, and so this deals with everything the hardcore stuff that you would expect that they would deal with in Gotham and it's 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 very well done uh, art by Stefano Ra- Raphael is is very good it conveys the emotion the feelings the hopelessness the heroism and the uh just the just the the feeling of tragedy that one has that, especially in the, with the character, uh, Devon who is ends up feeling so hopeless that he essentially, he, 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 plans his own essential execution at the hands of another gang member. Uh, but at least he, he does so. And he leaves something to his wife, but the fact that he felt he had to do that and he felt that he had nowhere else to turn, it really plays on that plays on the mind of Eric, uh, Wells, who is the pro officer, Eric Wells, who is, um, uh, uh, the parole officer, and you know, and and these three, and these characters that I've mentioned, they 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 end up at the end. They they have lunch together at the end, and and these are just a snapshot of three people that are friends and are associated with the Gotham PD, either as officers or parole officers, and. Uh, they're young they're at the beginnings of their career and already they've had some very harsh life experience and so it really gives you a a, a good snapshot of just how harsh and how visceral life uh, in Gotham City can be when you're in law enforcement so I was I was impressed and look this is not your typical superhero book okay this is law and order procedural like uh this is crime noir but more of a hard edge to it and if you're into that kind of thing this is absolutely a comic for you what
0: do you think? Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, when Devon so Devante, you know, he, he, again, he can't find a job and these are all societal, you know, real life societal things that we hear about. Some people can relate to, Hey, I've been in prison. I have a felony on my record. I, I can't get a job. What am I supposed to do? Tell me to not associate with any of my old friends, but I have no other way to make money. Like, you know, these are real, these are real life problems. Um, and so when he leaves in the middle of the night, leaves his pregnant wife or girlfriend or whoever she is and and goes out, you know, you think, well, he's just doing what he has to do to survive. But then instead of going to do the heist, he goes and calls it in on from a payphone. Um and I thought, well, maybe it's one of those things where it's like a tip line, and if it leads to arrest, you get a reward. So maybe that's how he's planning on making some money. But no, it's that that would be too upbeat for John Ridley. No, it's, (laughs) this guy's like suicide by revenge. Uh, You know, goes and sits on the park bench where he knows he's going to be found and is killed by the one, uh, the one guy who tried to recruit him to do the crime. And, um, and he's, you know, even says why are you sitting here waiting for me? And so at that point, yeah, you figure why he's got an insurance policy, $750,000 for his unborn child and, uh, and partner. So yeah, it just speaks to the hopelessness that some of these people um deal with. So John Ridley is dealing with real life stuff. He's dealing with it in a mature and an accurate manner. Uh, there are no, you know, superheroes in this. Two Face is mentioned as a villain. Um and obviously Rene Montoya has a history with Two Face, and so that may may play up to that trauma. But yeah, it this is like you said, if you're a fan of law and order you know procedurals it's got that aspect but there's a, there's a serialized aspect to it as well as we're following these three rookie cops who are being acclimated into um Gotham City and you know we're getting their perspective so so much has been in the news over the last couple of years at least in in this country in the United States but police brutality and uh people on the force who may may be white supremacists or racists or some kind of thing and and yeah i i get it right like it may be that the percentage of people who have those beliefs—they're um, attracted to jobs in law enforcement because it's a way to, to have a little bit of authority and be able to carry a gun and that sort of thing. So, so I c- can understand it. Um, but that's not to say that everybody uh, is a bad police officer, is a bad egg, and what have you. Um, but I, I appreciate that Ridley's given us both sides, right? Yeah, it's tough for Devonte Charles and tough for um, you know former former uh, prisoners to find jobs and to reintegrate into society and to be accepted and to be trusted but it's also tough for these cops you know that are being judged um, and th- dealing with red tape and uh, even the, the the one officer that froze yeah she like you said she made a mistake and now she's being you know raked over the coals when just a couple of weeks prior or a few days prior she was being hailed as a hero for not shooting somebody. Um, and, you know, come to find out she froze at that moment too. She wasn't a hero. She just got lucky. Uh, that's how even the, the, um, the head of the patrol officers says, yeah, you just got lucky. You froze last time. You got lucky. Cause you weren't supposed to shoot this time. Uh, you should have shot and you didn't, you froze again. Um, and, and, you know, she's like, they're like, we made you out to be a hero. She's like, I didn't ask for that. And you didn't ask me any questions. You just assumed you just assumed. So. There's so much to this. There's so much relevance to it. Um, And like you said, Ridley's, in terms of technically, uh, you know, a good story or a good comic, he's doing a fantastic job of weaving all these storylines and all these characters together in a a way that makes sense and the way that flows, right? Like uh, I was just talking about how Catwoman's got a lot of moving parts and it feels choppy. This is kind of the exact opposite of that. It's, It's just put together so well and the transitions and everything just... Uh, It it really, really works. And uh, Stefani Raphael's art. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not super photorealistic, but it's, it's not stylized either. It's, it's kind of in that sweet spot that kind of suits uh, a story like this. that's so um, kind of down to earth and, and grounded.
1: And speculator alert: We have Mon- uh, Renee Montoya's uh, goldfish uh, first appearance of her goldfish, yeah. her, her therapy fish, as the, her, therapy. her fellow officers get her a therapy fish uh, when she's exactly. feeling down. So I thought that was kind of one of the more humorous moments of the issue. There was some, there was some, some levity in the issue, which was which it needed. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, all right, up next we have DC versus Vampires All Out War number five. This is written by Alex Paknadel and Matthew Rosenberg. Pencils, ink, and gray tones by, <clears throat> excuse me, by Pasquale Quilano and Francesco a uh, Red tone by Nicola Rehi. Letters by Troy Petrie. And then there's a, a, there's a backup story starring Jack Hawksmore. So for you Wildstorm fans, and it's written by Danny Lohr with art by Hanning and letters by Troy Petrie. So, um, wow, where do I start with this? I think you know there are there are certain issues of this series where the red, the black white and red don't work as well for me as if it were in color. This particular issue, I think, it works really well, and I think the reason for that is because there's a big chunk of this issue that is a, a giant fight between Mary Marvel and Billy Batson, and it's it's kind of sad and dark and poignant um, because. Basically, where we are is that Shazam Billy Batson, in his superheroic form has been transformed into a vampire, whereas the exact opposite has happened to to mary her she her her human part has been transformed into a vampire, and the way that she avoids feeding and um and succumbing to that is by staying in her Mary marvel form so ultimately the what happens here is. Uh, Mary ends up turning Billy human by using the magic word Shazam and then biting him uh, and then surrenders herself to the rest of her her team. So that's kind of the resolution of that fight. Um, but apparently she by transforming uh, Billy and, and biting him, I, I take it to mean that that she's killed him. Um, so the vampires have lost one of their uh, strongest warriors, if you will. Um so that I thought that was really interesting and impactful and and emotional. The first part of the issue is all about the plan that, you know, these last few remaining heroes. And I use that term loosely because Deathstroke's among them, uh, the plan that they've had to try to uh, bring Bruce Wayne back so that he can lead the ragtag team of heroes that's left. And it's been what this series has been focusing on for a really long time, right? Like, you 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 only have Deathstroke and Booster Gold and Mary Marvel, uh, and oh, uh, Midnighter blinked on his name for a second there, mm. and and they they have managed to uh, obtain Bruce Wayne's corpse and they go to where the last Lazarus Pit for some reason it's in the Flash Museum of all places, and again th- th- this has been mentioned in the regular DC versus Vampires series. This has been mentioned. It's been the focus of this series since issue two, Deathstroke's plan. Got to get Batman's body into a Lazarus pit. Um, and it doesn't work. He drops him in there. Bruce Wayne reawakens. He's still a vampire. He bites, uh, Deathstroke and then gets his head chopped off. Um, and then they're off to go and try to find another way to, to save the day. Um, after it being the focus and build up and build up and build up to just have it be up, oh, threw them in there. Didn't work. Let's move on find something else. Like I, I felt a little, I don't want to say cheated, but it, it felt so anticlimactic. I was disappointed. Yeah. Like this has been the plan all along and to have it not work. I would think that these characters would be a little more devastated, but they're just like, Oh, well that didn't work. Let's go try to find something else. Like it didn't, it, it didn't land. It was almost like, well, we happened upon the body. let's just try this that That's not what this was. like he, other heroes sacrificed themselves for this mission, and it didn't work at all and they just kind of shrug it off and so I, I don't know it it felt it it didn't work for me it didn't work for me um, and then the Hawksmore issue or, or backup story was just kind of meh. um i'm not I, I, not that familiar with hox uh, jack Hawksmore from authority so maybe that's why it didn't uh, it didn't really speak to me but um i thought this issue was okay i I really enjoyed that mary and billy fight but the rest of it was sort of a miss for me um what did you think uh i really uh, i enjoyed i in i've been
1: enjoying this uh all-out war uh because of mary marvel she's been the highlight for me and in fact uh uh I say this with a little bit of uh, paradoxically, paradox, a little bit of contradiction, because I haven't really been enjoying the black, white, and red. Still, didn't enjoy this issue. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be getting the trade of this in black, white, and red. I just, I thought maybe it would grow on me, and it did. And then I just, I didn't like it this issue again. Having said that, I actually think the black, white, and red works. Be- if Mary Marvel, I think, is the is the character centerpiece of this entire issue, and in fact. Uh, from issue to issue, I've been looking more more forward. It's, it's the character of Mary Marvel that stands out. That's the character that stands out for me. There's obviously say, Slade Wilson and there's, there's Midnighter. There's other characters. But, but Mary Marvel is the one that stands out for me. And there's really a good moment here where she actually manages to touch the heart of Slade Wilson. Uh, where she actually, you know, she tells Slade Wilson, I have faith in you. I believe in you. And it actually, it, it looks as if, uh, Slade Wilson even gets somewhat emotional about it. And, you know, I will give, uh, the, the pencils, ink and gray tones by, uh, Pascal Calano and Francisco Mortorino. I mean, they, you know, f- frankly, the arts, the arts good. It's the, you know, the, the the colour schemes are either going to work for you or not but I will say that Mary Marvel stands out very conveniently her costume actually is red so it works like a charm less so for Deathstroke and the other characters but it still works I, I... I love I mean thank god for Mary Marvel she's the one that actually gains access to the Lazarus pit so they can at least try to revive Bruce Wayne that's that's a that's that's a failure uh she then ends up being attacked by Billy Batson she incapacitates him she she uses her lightning to 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 defeat Billy essentially defeat Billy Batson then turns him and then at the it ends the that this particular chapter ends with her asking uh asking her fellow heroes to essentially kill her And that, uh, we're going to, you know, I have a feeling hopefully they'll find some way to save her. I'm thinking that maybe if the Lazarus pit is still open, maybe can the Lazarus pit save Mary Marvel who's, who's infected, but doesn't have access. I think she still has access to the lightning. I'm not really sure why she can't turn back into Mary Marvel again. Uh, I'm a little confused on that. Maybe I'll have to reread it, but I'm not, I don't quite understand that. I would think, why, why doesn't she say, say Shazam, or maybe she's going to, maybe that's unavailable to her anymore. I, I don't know. But, so, but that, that'll that be resolved next issue.
0: That's- yeah, I think maybe because Billy's gone, right? And she was, Oh, and that's
1: how she had access to the lightning it was
0: only through Billy? Yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's I mean, possible. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's the only thing I can think of that would make sense? That's possible. That's possible. Yeah. Uh the,
1: the other the other side is I happen to know a little bit about uh maybe more than a little bit. I, I used to love the authority. Uh and J- Jack Hawksmore showing up, he actually has an adventure where uh uh Jenny shows up. Jenny is the spirit of the 20th century. And the entire the first original authority storyline, Jenny, who was the spirit of the 20th century, eventually dies and a new spirit of the 21st century emerges. And uh, the spirit, Jenny Jenny Sparks, Jenny Sparks. Thank you. And this, this uh, Jenny Sparks, actually, as Jack Hawksmore explains, Jenny Hawks, actually, Jenny Sparks comes back from the dead, even though she's dead. She comes back from the dead because this vampire apocalypse has been through such a quagmire into the spirit of the centuries. This is my way of, that's my words, that she's come back to essentially hearken in the, a, a new child, because even though he, Hawk, Jack, Jack Hawksmore defeats Jenny Sparks, because she is ultimately sort of a little bit wacky, a little bit crazy, he defeats her. But at the same time, a new child is born that promises to be the spirit of the 21st century, or perhaps to be uh, uh, another weapon against the vampire apocalypse, which is Occurring. So we have a number of things that are happening on multiple fronts here. We've got this new child that could hearken in a new age for humanity, this new spirit of the, you know, Jenny Sparks offspring or whatever that might be. We've got, uh, I suspect Mary Marvel will still somehow survive. Uh, I'm sure Slade Wilson, Lazarus Pet, will probably find some way. To to do that, I suspect that there's going to be. I really like what you said about how maybe Mary Marvel has lost some connection to the powers of the wizard because Billy Batson is dead. Well, maybe because they said Shazam, she said Shazam, and they were together. Maybe she's got all of them. So you you never know. So uh, I I kind of like this. This is this has been such a high adrenaline rush of a series. So much has been going on, and it's for that reason why the color scheme has been a little frustrating at me f- at times. Uh, I've had difficulties identifying who was who and what was what, but the gist of it has come through. I-, I still would love to see just this properly colored as opposed to the black, white, and red. I hope they don't do this again for future series. I'm not particularly a fan of it, but story-wise, a good story can shine through some art, even if I'm not a big fan of the color scheme, and this story is starting to shine through, especially where Mary Marvel's concerned, so not bad.
0: Yeah, I wonder if they're trying to save time and or money. That's why they're doing it. No idea if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number four. This is written by Tom Taylor. We have uh, pencils by Trevor Hairsign and Neil Edwards, inks by Andy Lanning, colors by Rain Burrito, Burredo, sorry, <laughs> apologies, Burredo. Uh and letters by Seda Timofonte. Uh What do you think of this? I... I thought this was a little more of a boring
1: issue. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to the cover B. Uh, of B. There's a great picture of an undead hawk girl, hawk woman. Looks, looks awesome. Cover C has a big barda. She looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and uh, there's also, I think that's supposed to be a 90s cover with Dark side on it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the 90s style art. You, people might, you might notice when you go to the, walk into your local comic shop, there's a lot of 90s style comic book covers. I avoid those like the plague. I was, you know, i uh not a fan of the 90s covers. I won't be picking up any of them, quite frankly, except maybe there's a Black Adam one that's actually reasonably tolerable. But uh, in any event, uh, this this issue, I, I was a little disappointed uh, with uh, it, it. Not that it was bad. It was just it, 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 I feel like this was largely kind of a filler issue not we didn't get a lot of progress we just get a flashback of alfred having almost like a ptsd memory of him having when he had to kill the bat family when he killed bruce when he killed batman and 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 tim and 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 nightwing he he, he had to kill them himself and and he has that dream and he has that flashback and it, it's a very visceral and and uh flashback and and uh Leslie Tompkins is there, and it's clear in this continuity that Leslie, uh, Tompkins and Alfred have a relate, are are in a relationship with each other. And I, I love that. I, I think that, I think they're basically, I think they're, it makes sense that they'd have a good relationship with each other. Leslie Tompkins is, was always sort of like the mother figure, a maternal figure to Bruce. And of course, obviously, Alfred was a paternal figure. So it's nice to see, see them together. I like the way Tom Taylor has scripted them, the dialogue that they have together. I think it really works. And in particular, when Damien shows up, and you can tell even Damien as Batman in this deceased universe, he's quite, he he very much approves of it, and he says, I'm very happy for the both of you. So that works. Again, it's, when I say not much, we don't, not much happens, I could scold myself a little bit because. You know what? Sometimes it's about the character growth. I mean, good lord, we're talking about Tom Taylor. How many times has he done this? Where I've said not much happens plot wise, but goddamn, the character—he keeps pulling me back into the story with his character work. There is really good character work here, so uh, I, I, I have to give him props for that. Um, in the meantime, we've got uh, all of the—I guess you know—Batman, Superman, all these, and the Green Lantern. They go, and there we we know that we know that Darkseid and with his anti-life league and his Sinestro, he's, he's got the power of Sinestro and he's got the power of the anti-life and he's, he's wreaking havoc across, across the galaxy. And he comes across Maxima's, uh, Maxima's uh, planet. And of, uh, I think, I forget what her, what the name of uh, what her planet is. I used to know the name of her planet. Um, Ah, man. I'm pretty sure. I thought I knew it. Uh, yeah, Almarac. The planet Almarac is the planet uh, Maxima. And, you know, it's it's pretty much destroyed. And her lover, her former, her queen lover, is, uh, well, she's the queen of Almanac. And it's actually ruled by two queens. Uh, that was based actually on an old Wonder Woman story uh, scripted by Steve Orlando a couple years ago. So it's nice to see a callback to that. But the bulk of this issue is just having a all the heroes are planning their attack in terms of planning what their strategy is going to be against Darkseid and the hordes of this anti-life virus. And essentially, there's all the dialogue leads to is everyone, while they're talking to the Guardians, the Guardians are becoming are painting a fairly hopeless picture. People become increasingly more depressed and angry at each other. Ultimately, arguments break out only to have it reveal that Ares is using his influence to cause everyone to go to war with each other. Which, it, it didn't really work for me. It, le- it leads to some great visuals by Trevor Harrison, but at the same time, Ares made it clear last issue that he he takes this seriously. Ares made it very clear that while he's the god of war, this is not the type of war he envisioned because this is just straight up extermination. So I can't believe that Ares would act like this and create foster chaos like this amongst the heroes. I, I found it very hard to believe. In any event, I thought while I, I thought that was very out of character, even for Ares, given what was established last issue. Uh, but Ares' machinations are interrupted by Mixel Mixias Patelic Mixoplick, however you want to pronounce his name, showing up and uh he obviously it's going to be interesting to see what role he plays and can you imagine if he ever gets infected by this anti-life? Uh but in any event that's kind of how it how it ends so all in all not bad good character issue good character work uh plot wise not much happened we didn't really move very far from plot from point a to point b but we got some good character work so what do you think
0: yeah i kind of agree with you a little bit of a down issue um there's some. It's, it's mostly a setup issue. I too was disappointed that the fight breaks out between the Green Lanterns and the heroes. Like, guys, keep our eye on the ball. The Anti Life Equation is spreading across the universe. Like, we need to stop that. Um, so many people have died in this reality. I, I, I even find I, I get it. Superman is Superman. I talked about earlier about him always being the big blue Boy Scout. But even Superman has to be willing to to maybe make some exceptions just based on the this unprecedented threat that the uh, anti-life equation represents with uh, a dark side that is now not only in, infected, but is also a yellow lantern. Uh, and I get that you have a cure, um, but why are you going to waste time fighting, right? Oh, maybe we can't get the cure out there. T- just nod your head, say, yes, Guardians, we'll do what you say, and then go out there and save everybody. Give everybody the cure. Like, don't waste your time fighting. And I get that it's partly because of Ares – and I see what you're saying. He did say, "Yes, I take this seriously, whatever." But when it comes to Aries, he just can't help himself, right? He's like a kid. <laughs> you know, if you give a kid uh, the option and say, "Okay, if if you want, I will give you a giant bowl of ice cream in two days' time, or you can have one, you know, normal size scoop now," <laughs> right? They're gonna take the one normal size scoop. At that moment, it's all about the instant gratification. That's sort of Aries in my mind. So that that part made sense to me. But yeah, the, the heroes fighting us, like oh man, here we go. And it, it's not that it's unrealistic, but it's yeah, it's just disappointing and a little bit tropey. Um, so yeah, a bit of a down issue uh, for me on that one. Uh, all right, up next from a down issue to a fantastic issue, maybe my favorite issue of Flash in uh, in a while and that's saying something cuz every issue is good with Jeremy Wright, uh Jeremy Adams writing it <laughs> great pencil art from Fernando Passerin Matt Ryan's the inker Matt Herms on colors Rob Lee on letters um the covers are great especially the main one from Torin Clark um, and unfortunately uh God, what's his name the guy that was in charge of uh, of uh of hmm? Iron Heights prison he won the election he's the oh, mayor yeah. No, I can't um, remember his name. Yeah, and he's a total scumbag, and has been from the beginning. Uh, Wolf—that's his name, Gregory Wolf. Um, and the fact that he got away with the torture and everything, like I'm—I'm I'm ready. Like Wolf has been around long enough in Flash comics that I am—I'm ready for him to get what's coming to him, and I, I'll, I'll give credit to. I mean, he. I think he even showed up back, first. Showed up back in the Robert Venditti days, and then obviously he was in the Williamson run. And uh, you know, credit to Joshua or uh, to Jeremy Adams rather for keeping that throughput, keeping that thread going. He's not a good guy, and we learned that he he himself has powers. Apparently, he's definitely fascist. He's definitely a scumbag, and I can't wait to see him get what's coming to him. Um, dare I say, this is one of those times where I wish the Punisher was in the. DC universe and just wipe this guy out. Cause you know, he, he, he's getting to be, uh, he's, he's aspiring to be Amanda Waller level of scumbag is, uh, is maybe that's his role model. Um, yeah. So that, that story is interesting, but it's not my favorite part of the issue. My favorite part of the issue is the fact that Wally and Linda find out they're having another baby. Uh, as far as I know, this is new news, right? They in previous, or you know, pre-Flashpoint, they didn't have three kids. It was only the twins, right? Yeah. Um, so is. this is new. Could this be? And uh, Wally uh, or Linda speculates, could this be why she has superpowers? Right? Like Wally has the Speed Force. He has his connection. The baby's half his genetic makeup. So does the baby have a connection? Does this baby growing inside Linda have a connection to the Speed Force? And thus, while she's pregnant, she will have super speed. That, if that's the case, that is such a fantastic idea. I mean, so many times we we talk sort of tongue in cheek, like, "Well, if Superman really had sex with Lois, he'd kill her, right? Cause <laughs> shoot at the back of her, and, yeah. and that kind of thing." But you know, obviously, Wally is not is not uh, Superman. But you know, it, it, it's fun to think about uh, legacy characters, and like immediately, I, I thought, okay, well, if this is another generation, could this baby be like? so fast and you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless. Jeremy Adams could do anything with this kid. It's a blank slate. Um, So I'm really excited to see yeah. what might happen with this baby. Um, I, and, and I
1: want to, I want to interject. He was on Twitter and he was asking people what they sh- what the name of the baby should be. And I, and I, I volunteered that they should name the kid Rapido. That way his friends can call him rap. Wow. And Rapido is, I think it's, I think it's Spanish for, you know, fast. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways,
0: you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. What the name of the thing? I, I think J, I think Jace has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Um, I suppose we have Jace Fox already, but that's not yeah. really doesn't really yeah. count. But anyway, uh, I'm really excited really, really excited. Uh, Jeremy Adams was actually one of the people I was going to reach out to. It's been a while since we've had him on the show. He's one of the people I was going to reach out to to see if he wants to come on for a Christmas episode. So we'll definitely have some things to discuss with him um, when the time comes. But yeah, I'm really excited for this. What did you think?
1: Oh, I, th- I thought that this was great. I mean,
0: uh,
1: the whole, it wasn't even on my radar that that they would have a child. Uh, but I love, I love it because you know, it's funny. It's almost as if DC is maybe collectively wanting to compensate for the fact that they're just, they just refuse to age down John Kent. So they want to maybe, you know, it's maybe it's a baby boom in the DC universe. And you know what? I don't mind that at all because, you know, we, we bring on, bring on more kids. We, we got 13 lost sidekicks, right? In, uh, in, in, in the lost children. We're having, we actually have more children, more younger characters being introduced, from Jeff Johns and Mark Wade, the sidekicks, and now another young character. We have a, we really do have a legacy. In many ways, it makes me wonder if I don't know what all the secret plans were to 5G, but I wonder if some of this was related to 5G or is this completely new? It just kind of makes me wonder if of how much of this was is completely new, or how how much of this is a is a remnant coming out of 5G or what have you. But whatever it is. I like the way it's being organized now. I like the general feeling of the DC universe in terms of where we might be headed, and the idea of a of another kid uh, with Linda and Wally, and especially because they're so family oriented. You know, it's not like this isn't like this isn't like. Lois and Clark, where for some stupid reason, because they're they're the Superman family, they've got greater responsibilities in the Flash. This actually does feel more genuinely like a family. There's something about Wally and Linda. They actually feel more responsible in terms of their family responsibilities than a Lois and Clark do in my mind. And the type of stories that I want to read when I read about superhero families, quite frankly... At least, maybe it's. I'm spoiled with Jeremy Adams, but I like the way the stories are told with Wally and Linda, and so yeah, give them a third kid. I think it would be great. And Jay and Irie having a younger brother or younger sister, whatever the case might be, I think it's a. Gr- I think it's a great idea. Into the lar- into the larger landscape here, the the other aspects of the story. uh, uh Mr. Terrific is seems to be building a a connection he he believes that uh central city has some sort of connection to hyper time so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out also it looks like uh the wolf character the mayor mayor wolf his he's decided to uh de- essentially quasi deputize the rogues uh this is uh Tentative On the title to this issue, it's called Rogues Law, which I actually quite like that title, Rogues Law. And then the inter- interior title is Rogues: The Rogues to Redemption, which I, I thought has a nice ring to it as well. It's I think it's a little bit nuts that as if I can't imagine any of these rogues ever be qualifying to be uh, deputies. Uh, but um, I guess it you know it, it makes for an interesting story. It's actually quite comical. It, Wally goes to try to apprehend he thinks Mr Free, uh M- Mr Freezer what's Captain Cole? Captain Cole, thank you. Captain Cole is going to rob the bank, but he's actually he's actually stopping someone else from doing it and and of course they have a they have some sort of warrant for Flash's arrest. And so th- there's I couldn't help but get a little bit of some some Trumpian vibes here in terms of the wolf. Cause I mean, who else would be so stupid as to do something like that? And so naturally Trump's mind, Tr- Trump came to mind. And, um, uh, if I offended anybody by, by saying that I don't care. Uh, <laughs> and I want to make that very clear. And, uh, in any event, I, I quite, this was a fun issue. This was a real fun issue. And, You know, thank you, Jeremy Adams, for having fun with it. Uh, This wolf looks like a scary guy. He's 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 he has no problem pissing off the mob who lent him all the money so he could win win election. He even his uh, even his uh, sidekick there, his uh, his the woman, his female advisor that he has. She's quite powerful in her own right. I forget her name, but he basically what's her name? Blacksmith. Blacksmith. Yeah, he straightens her out in a hurry too. So uh, I was. yeah, I was I was impressed. And and at the end, it looks as if Pied Piper is coming to the rescue to rescue Wally when he gets set up by the rogues to take him down. So I once again, a, a very fun issue by Jeremy Adams. And, you know, it's funny. We go from a all wrestling issue to, to this issue where, where, you know, he's just I love his imagination. He's he's firing on all cylinders and he's doing a really good job of it.
0: Yeah. Can I just say, like, I've been a Flash fan for a long time. Jeremy Adams' run on The Flash has become my favorite Flash run ever. And, I mean, ever. We're talking some giants that have worked on Flash. I'm a huge uh, Robert Venditti fan. Jeff Johns, Mark Wade. I mean, some big, big people. C- Kerry Bates back in the day. Um, but, yeah, Jeremy Adams, man, he just gets it. <laughs> and, once again, I implore you, D.C., Give the man another title. Yeah. Give the man another title. Exactly. Please, for the love of God, let him write. You know what I really would like to see Jeremy Adams take on. Like, if I if I had one book that I want him to be writing, yeah. Green Lantern. I would love for him to be writing a Green Lantern book. I think he'd do a good job with Aquaman too. But I'm more of a Hal Jordan Green Lantern and. Uh, I would want other, you know, others in there as well. Yeah. Like let, give, give Jeffrey Thorne, John Stewart, and let him go off and do whatever he wants with John Stewart. Yeah. Um, but give me a, a Green Lantern book and, and let me read about Hal and Kyle and Jessica and, um, oh my God, yeah. I wanted to say Ab and Sir, but it's not Ab and Sir. Who, who's the, who's the Middle Eastern Green Lantern? Oh, so Simon Baz or Baz? Simon Baz, yeah. Baz? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Simon Baz. Yeah. 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 I, I want Jeremy, Jeremy writing that. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Last book. Oh, no, we have two more left. Um, up next is Nightwing number 98. Uh, different artists on this this one. Um, Daniel Nakulo, who is the artist that collaborated with Tom Taylor on The Seven Secrets. Title over at Boom. This is written by Taylor. Adriana Lucas on Colors. Uh, Wes Abbott does, uh, does the letters. For me, the Nakulo art, man – Certainly in trade, it would really take me out because the style is just so different than what Bruno Redondo is. It's, it feels a little younger, which I suppose works because we get n- the introduction of Nightmite. Uh, we had that cliffhanger ending <laughs> where Rick Grayson showed back up and, yeah, Rocky called it. Yeah, sh- sure enough, it's Nightmite. He has his own uh, fifth dimensional imp whose name is Dickel, D-Y-X-L, Dixel, maybe that's uh, how you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> yeah. so he shows up here and, uh, the whole idea is Blockbuster made a, has a, has a kid and Blockbuster made a deal with Neron to become smarter at one point. And since he'd already sold his soul to uh, Neron, he sold his daughter's soul. And so Dick Grayson has to go and rescue her. So Knight Might, I don't know why Knight Might is so like what got him interested in saving this kid in the first place, but... Night might, you know, fish dimensional imp, the whole idea of telling a story like this it does allow Tom Taylor to, to interject a lot of humor. There's a lot of funny moments here whether it's um what's coming out of Nightmight's mouth or he he gives Bitewing the dog the ability to speak. Um he just he, Nightwing is awesome is the phrase that he gives to Dick in order for uh, him to power up his uh Escarima sticks um I, I, there's just one funny joke after another and and ultimately this is a really fun issue um the only letdown for me was the art i just i just didn't care for the the style of art and i get why you would want to have um a little bit more of a juvenile look of art because of of nightmite but uh i i just i didn't i didn't think it worked that well it it works for nightmite himself but not for the the rest of the story um but yeah, I thought it was fun. There's plenty of great images. Um, Night Might even at once says, you know, I'm your biggest fan. We even have t-shirts and he holds up this shirt and it's got that classic scene of Batman slapping Robin that we've all seen made, made <laughs> to a meme a thousand times, but instead it's Nightwing slapping Batman. Um, and yeah, that just made me laugh when I saw that image. It's just so, so good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, a fun issue. Um, and being that we got, Dick Grayson kissing, uh, Starfire in the Titans United. And then we're reminded that <laughs> Night- Nightwing, or Dick and Barbara on a romantic getaway with a mobster, uh, downstairs in this hideaway. That's what s- sparked that idea of, man, which one, w- which one do you prefer better? Because there is a moment in here where, um, and you wonder if this is teased because so many people talking about a, a Dick and Barbara wedding in Nightwing 100. We haven't really seen any of that until that, where Nightwings like, our or nightmites like, hey, let's get you married and snaps his fingers and everybody's there. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here. And they're both like, uh, nope, not ready yet. And Barbara's like, wait, not yet. What do you mean not yet? Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I personally don't think there's a wedding on the horizon because there hasn't been any buildup. But who knows? Um, but anyway, this is a fun issue. And maybe that's all the wedding we're going to get. Who knows? Uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I hope this isn't the only wedding we're going to get. I, I was actually fearful of that. I thought, uh, in fact, I want, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, I want a wedding in issue 100. I think I think fans deserve it. I think we I think we deserve it, and we I think we should get it. I think DC owes us uh, an apology that they never gave for screwing us over with Batman number fifty, with Batman and Catwoman wedding uh, what, marriage not taking place. And but this one should. So I hope it does take place. It actually bothers me a little bit that they're even sort of making a joke out of a wedding in this issue ninety eight because it makes me fearful that we won't get it in issue one hundred. Now, having said all that. That's my fears, all right? The issue itself is is fun. It, this is a fun issue. This is um, this is we've gotten so much character work and this is Tom Taylor having fun with these characters through this night bite. <laughs> and and it's it's fun. It this is just a plain fun issue. It this is one of those issues where it's it's almost kind of it's kind of foolish to even like what's there to criticize it it's meant to be absolutely zany and crazy and this sort of like nightmite this mixo pedalic like character his heart's in the right place he's actually he he's just as adorable he's he's like a miniature miniature puppy you know cute teddy bearish plush version of Dick Grayson so of course people are going to uh, like him and i think the art is perfectly suited for this type of story. And I r- particularly love the cover. Uh, and, uh, the cover is really, I, I just love the cover. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, Nightmite's right on the cover. You could tell this is, um, <laughs> There's even a the, the cover C, and I don't know who the artist is, but it's it's really good with Might having drawn a bunch of uh, images on on Dick Grayson's face, and it's just it really pops off the page. So I actually think it's by an artist that I normally don't get, but that that particular image with Night Nightmite on top of Dick Grayson's head, it looks it looks hilarious. It looks really good, and yeah, and then cover B is also absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I gotta tell you, man, there's some really nice covers for Dick Grayson or. or Nightwing this week, but overall, we again. This is this isn't a must pick up, but I think that I think it would be kind of foolish not to get this because if you're fans of this series so far, you're a fan of all aspects of it. the 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 Night Might uh, the, the 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 I mean, especially if we might not get a wedding. I mean, even even a tease of a wedding that we get here through the mind of Nightbite is something that you want to take advantage of, at least take take a gander of, uh, because you know, I think uh, I'm hoping that this is just a hint of what we have to come. And I'm I'm so looking forward to issue 100. I really do hope we get a wedding. But like you said, it's not like DC not to advertise. On the other hand, it is kind of like DC not to advertise because they don't advertise a lot of their comics, and then they tend to over advertise things of which end up being extremely disappointing. <laughs> they are <a> crisis, <laughs>
0: but um yeah. Well, I mean, there hasn't really been any build up, um, but maybe that's how. Maybe it's going to be more well, of a surprise. What
1: well, don't you think? There's been build up. I- I'm not sure what you mean I'm by not, that because there's been build up. There hasn't no, been well, advertisement
0: and hype, but there's been build up. No, no, I'm not talking about advertisement or hype. I'm talking about like. He hasn't even proposed, right? So so I don't. I just don't see it unless it's a spur of the moment, hey, let's get married kind of thing, and they get married immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's, There's been nothing in the story until this issue where there's a hint, you know, and maybe that's going to spur a conversation next yeah. issue, and then they decide, yeah, let's get married and everybody – and it could be a time jump or, or, you know, any of that sort of thing. But I'm just saying like when you look at traditionally, like look at Oliver and Black Canary when they got married and – you know there was specials and same thing with Superman with the wedding special and order. There's been none of, none of that. So no, nothing solicited. Nothing, so I, I just don't, I don't expect it. So yeah. um, that's just that's just me. And that artist you're talking about, I'm is strong. Dan Hip, it, Dan Hip, what? who's done a lot of variants for DC lately. Dan, Hill? Uh, okay. Dan, Dan Hip. Okay. Dan Hip. H i p p. D a n. H i p p. Dan Hip. Right on. Uh, All right. Last book we're going to talk about in detail is one bad Batman, one bad day. Mr. Freeze written by Jerry Dugan, Matteo Scalera does the art. Dave Stewart on colors, Darren Bennett on letters, a lot of covers here. I think my favorite is probably the Sweeney boo one in 25. Just uh, looks great with uh, Victor kind of leaning on the the glass of Nora's uh, cryogenic chamber and and looking up at her while she's sleeping. Uh, This was a great issue. Really like, I would say that the success of this and you kind of wonder, I mean, I've talked to different creators about what the, kind of their, their prompt was from DC in order to create these stories. If you want a story that really sums up who Victor freeze is and have an understanding, like if you've never read of a, a Mr. Freeze story, this is a great job of explaining who he is and how it's not about Nora in terms of, I want to bring my wife back and cure her from this disease. It's, because I love her and she deserves to live and I'm doing it for her. It's he, it's all about him and it always was, and it always will be. So it's about how it reflects on him and what a genius he is and how he needs to save his wife and, and what she's going to bring back to his life. That's missing. It's more, it's all about him. Um, and Jerry Dugan throughout the course of the story makes that so apparent and so clear and in a way it's a little bit tragic and Victor freeze has always been a little bit of a tragic character because he has had these bad things happen to him, but it goes beyond that to remind us that even had she not uh, contracted this disease, she was going to leave him and he would have probably turned into a villain anyway. So uh, it's a fantastic story, a fantastic job. I think uh, Jerry Dugan handled it really, really well. One of the reasons I'm a big fan of his work um, the Matteo Scalera art, a uh, little bit of a rougher, uh, stylized art from him than I'm used to seeing, but it works in the context of this story. So ultimately, I thought this was a, a really, really solid entry, and it's probably my favorite um, or second favorite, I should say, my favorite after the Riddler, uh, the one bad day Riddler story that we got from Tom King and uh, and Mitch Garretts, which holds uh, high esteem in my in my mind. So what did you think? i am i'm i'm really really struggling
1: with this, uh but because you sung this the praises of this i 'm struggling I might end up siding with you on this but i've i've really struggled with this so i 'm going to give a counterpoint just just so our our discussion is is a little different I actually openly <laughs> part of me really doesn 't like the fact that how they 've changed the uh mr freeze 's motivations here because you know, up until now, Mr. Freeze was was a very sympathetic character. They've removed they've removed that. They've they he's now no longer a sympathetic character. The very thing that made him sympathetic in the first place was the fact that he was a tragic character because he lost his wife. But now now, man bad, man bad. No, he was always a dick. He was always an asshole. He was always a jerk. No, there's it nothing pathetic about it. It makes
0: more sense. It makes it, more that makes more it, sense to me. Well, well, fair
1: enough. Uh if 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 that makes more sense to you, that that's fine. I mean, it's what whatever the reader brings to it. This is why I'm I'm a little bit torn. I'm not saying it's not uh, it's not a, an explanation for it. And Gary Duggan as a writer here that the the manner in which I mean, it's very clever the way he goes about trying to uh because Batman and Robin, they uh, it starts off with Robin essentially. They're asking themselves a the question Are any of the Rogue's Gallery redeemable? And Batman thinks that it's possible that, that, that uh, Mr. Freeze might be redeemable. So he actually, they decide, uh, Batman decides to gift Mr. Freeze with all this equipment, basically, gift him all this information, uh, his own lab. Uh, actually, he, he, he ends up, I think, uh, Batman ends up buying a, an, an, another lab from Lex Luthor and, and sets Mr. Freeze up with his own lab to try to help him cure Nora, cure the affliction that ails his, his wife Nora, o- only to have it ultimately Fall apart at the end because, as you said, it's it's revealed that no, Mr. Freeze was always jealous. He was always he was always uh, thinking that his wife was cheating on him. He was always a control freak, and that's made very clear at the beginning. It's hinted at the beginning, and Mr. Freeze himself even possesses the self awareness at the end to admit that yeah, you know what, you're right. I was a jerk. I was a dick, and in my view. The more I talk about it the more I'm thinking it completely dissipates and takes away from it uh, because in it if Mr. Freeze part of what made him so sympathetic was the fact that it was his loss his profound loss and sorrow at, at losing his wife that that made him enduring and that that was always what made him a potential hero a potential anti-hero was the fact that he wasn't actually a dick he was just so so obsessed with love for his wife that he wanted to give his wife life, and in fact, uh, he, he he succeeded in bringing Nora back, and she ended up actually dying again. Uh, in 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 actually in the Batman Urban Legends storyline, I mean the whole the whole foundation of Mister Freeze has been completely upended by this. And I don't. It's going to be really curious to see uh, what the larger readership is going to think about this change. I think this is a fundamental change going to the core of Mr. Freeze. This is an absolute complete change in motivation and I don't know and again I'm still I'm still I'm still thinking about it. My mind can maybe still be changed maybe but it reminds me of what Scott Snyder did. Scott Snyder did a a, a, a Batman annual about 6 or 7 years ago that he regrets doing by his own admission where he did the same thing with Mr. Freeze, stripped Mr. Freeze of the motivation the whole 9 yards and 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 he, and he regretted it and it was undone and this this here this here what Gary Duggan has done is basically said there's nothing sympathetic about Mr. Freeze at all. The only thing that Mr. Freeze did at the end that maybe gave him some degree of redemption is that he created a cure. Uh, he created uh, a mechanism by which when you transport organs, you don't, it can help. He created a freezing technique that can preserve organs longer for organ donation or some damn thing. Uh, so that's his way of saying thank you to Batman. So thank you, Batman. I know you tried, but it's not your fault that I've always been a jerk. And I... I don't know. I've got... i just got mixed feelings about it. I, I... The jury is still out on this for me. But uh, I just... I, I can't... Uh, you know? Maybe that's why it's a good story. It's because it's it's bothering me so much. So I'm not saying it's not a... I'm not saying it's not a, a good story. I'm just saying that it... it Right now, it, it really grates... kind of bothers me. And maybe that's a good thing. Because this is one of those stories that's going to stay with me a long time. So... That's a, that's yeah, probably- I, I don't know. For,
0: for me, I mean, I always thought the motivation was kind of weak. Um, I get wanting to save your wife. I totally get that. Um, I don't think that makes you a criminal. I don't think wanting to save your wife means you break all kinds of laws or whatever. Like you can still work within the boundaries. I mean, look at what Batman's willing to do here. Set him up at the lab, continue your research, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so to me, this makes perfect sense. Um, he, he's a dick because he's always been a dick. And he's just using that as an excuse, which makes him an even bigger dick. That you know, Mr. Freeze to me has never been a sympathetic character. Like, that's window dressing to me. If you're a supervillain and you kill people, like if you truly love your wife, it's like when people use religion to to wage war on other people. You can't use something good to to justify doing something bad. You just you just can't. The end. The 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 end zone justify the means. You can't kill f- hundreds of people in trying to bring one person back to life. Like, no, it doesn't work for me. So, uh, all right, fair That's enough. That's it for uh, the single issues. There were a couple of other ones that we uh, that we didn't talk about. Um, Harley Quinn's latest animated issue uh, is also out this week. Harley Quinn, the animated series, Legion of Bats number two. And also Looney Tunes, number 269. And then for collections, we have Batman Spawn, the classic collection hardcover, which collects Batman Spawn and Spawn Batman. Uh, Arkham City, The Order of the World, which is that Dan Waters series that we talked about a few months ago, has its trade paperback coming out. Grayson, the Super Spy Omnibus hardcover, which is some of Tom King's earliest work at DC with gorgeous Mikhail Yanin Art. Tom King and Tim Seeley co-wrote that fantastic series young justice book six straight paperback collecting uh, a bunch of the young justice classic issues and then finally wonder woman earth one complete collection which has all three of the grant morrison uh, earth one wonder woman uh, stories all in one uh, collection so uh that being said book of the week rocky what are you uh, giving your nod to well
1: i'm gonna have to go with yeah, I'm going to have to go with Stargirl, uh, Stargirl, The Lost Children for me.
0: Okay, that's a good pick. I contemplated that one. I also contemplated, uh, Earth One, or uh, not Earth One, but, uh, One Bad Day, the Mr. Freeze story, because I think that's solid. But I'm glad we talked about them because it did help me make up my mind. Uh, I got to go with Flash 788, man. <laughs> I got to go with Flash. Like, that was such a surprise, wasn't on my radar. This whole idea of the, the baby, uh, and the storylines that it opens up and uh, and our boy Jeremy Adams just killing it on Flash. So DC, give him another title already. Damn it. <laughs> what does it take, man? Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Appreciate you all listening. As always, uh, don't forget new Comics Wednesday episode, spoiler free, out from uh, the Comic Source Audio only on Wednesday. Uh, should have some interviews and other stuff coming up pretty soon. Uh, you got anything coming up you want to tease, Rock? Well,
1: I got coming out actually tonight as well as any um, comic review of the week. We reviewed uh, Jim of Weird Science and I. We reviewed uh, Star Hinge number five, uh, Minor Threats number three. Playbook. And uh, yeah. And uh, um, oh, uh, Dark Ride number two by Joshua Williamson, which
0: also is uh, well, all three are fantastic. Th-
1: th- yeah. Let me just say that Dark Ride is more enjoyable than Dark Crisis. Happily, I can happily say that. 100%, (laughs) and it's not close. Uh,
0: Okay, that's going to do it, everybody. Appreciate you joining as always. Don't forget to head over to YouTube. If you're listening to the audio-only version, do a search for Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom Exclamation Point. From there, you know what to do. Subscribe, uh, leave comments, notification, bell, so you know when new stuff's coming out. It really helps with our, our views and our access to things. Conversely, if you check us out on YouTube all the time to see our smiling faces and all the wonderful art from these DC books, be sure that you head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Comic Source so you don't miss out on any of those interviews and the 12 days of the Comic Source episodes that are coming up and all the other content that we put out on the uh, podcast channel. So we appreciate you joining as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog@gmail.com. at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash source. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.